Shadows Literary License Podcast episodes. Ben Stokes here, exploring all things Collinsport, Maine, and following the likes of the Collins family, and the friends and foes, with your co-hosts, Tom Diamond, Jesse Fultz, Mickey Ray, and Keith Chalgo, Collins family, story about blood relations, literally. Welcome to the Trilogious Podcast in the Dark Shadows Week. We'll be discussing episodes from April to May 1970, which would include episodes 983 to 125. And before we get started, let's find out who's with us. we got special guest Patrick McRae with us. Hello, Patrick. Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you. Nice to see you again. It's good and to be here. We have our, and we have our regular co-host, Vicki Ray. Hello, Vicki. Hi, everybody. And your regular co-host, myself, which is Kishago. Tom Diamond is in cahoots, and he may be joining us. And if he doesn't, we wish him the best. So before we get started, let's find out what we've been up to since last time we spoke. Starting with you, Patrick, what have you been up to since last time you came on our show? Last time I came on the show was in the middle of the pandemic, I think. Yeah. Uh, since then, um, wrote the Dark Shadows Day book or compiled the Dark Shadows Day book. Had some hilarious uh, attempts at doing an audio book. I'm going to be back at that this uh, <laughs> this this summer. Define and, uh, hilarious. Uh, you know they're not easy. They're, <laughs> they're especially when you're right like me. They're not easy. Uh, sometimes they were too fast. Sometimes they were too slow. Uh, getting getting a pace down is not an easy thing to do. And then finding a space to do it, you, you literally wind up in the closet. Uh, oh, no but, kidding. Uh, I didn't even think but, of that. But when it is done, it will be uh, not only spectacular, but it'll be done with Catherine Lee Scott's own equipment. Uh, really? That used, yeah, that she used to, uh, to, to record all of the, um, uh, the Marilyn Ross books, I believe. So she was, uh, she, she's been a really advocate, and, uh, and she, she helped me out with those, and that was great. So I'm all set up that way. If only I can get the talent to match. And I also am uh, putting the finishing touches on Dark Shadows Daybook Unchained, which is the second of the Daybook compilations. And I'm trying to put a lot of new things into it and extra essays. So we got our fingers crossed on that. That's awesome. And what about yourself, Vix? What have you been up to? Not a whole lot, really. Uh, It's just trying to... You know, get, I've been just doing a lot of gardening. Asher's been doing soccer and we got BMX starting again. And I don't know if he's really wanting to race that much this year, but uh, just making plans to go home and see the family. Uh, I haven't really been watching a whole lot. Well, actually, I was watching like the last five episodes of Stranger Things because today is the day, is it not? Oh, oh, yeah, I guess it is. Today's yeah. the day. And I'm wondering if they're going to meet it out, like, the whole, all the episodes or one a week or something to just torture me that way. But we'll see what happens because I'm really excited to see it because I, I just I just love it. I can't wait to see how, you know, I kind of figured that Hopper's still alive. I'm crossing my fingers, but we'll see how it goes. You know how sad it was at the end. Everybody left. And whatnot. And I tried to watch the new Candyman. I tried so hard. I kept falling asleep. 
I like the old one better. I've I tried. Do. I do too. Let me ask you, speaking mm-hmm. of Netflix, have you seen Archive 81? No, but I, no, I, 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 I'd heard of it. Somebody else it, asked me that the other day going on the forums. Best, best horror I've seen in years. Really? really? Yes, marvelous. I'll have to I'll check it out. I do. I, I, someone else asked me about that. And I, I saw it. Was that on Netflix? Yes. I saw it and I kind of buzzed past it. Um, I ended up watching, was it really? I watched uh, Joe Bob last Friday. Actually, that was one of the best Joe Bobs that he ever had. It was, I learned more a lot about certain cinema and certain things that went on, like behind the, uh, the uh, filming of Nosferatu and stuff like there's a whole bunch of crap. I had no idea what was going on back then. It was really kind of fascinating to hear all, how this stuff really came to be. And then in turn, Vampire came out or Vampire with a Y, how you ever want to say it. But it was one of his best episodes. I really enjoyed it. But other than that, um, not a whole lot. Just hanging in there with everybody else. What about you? Um, basically been working a lot and we have an outbreak of monkeypox here. So been Oh, I heard, <laughs> I heard. We got so Legionnaire's that, disease now too over here. Yeah, well, this one, um, I mean, the thing is, this is, um, it, it's spreading quite quickly here, but it's more viral and I think it's, um, it seems to be affecting, um, the gay community quite That's badly. what they were um, saying. Is as if the gay community really needs any more singling um, out? Well, I think it's because, I, I think it's super going, it's, um, being, it's being spread through, it's a viral infection. So it's right. through bodily fluids and right, right. And so forth. So yeah, so there, there's always going to be a little element of that anyway. But right. I mean, the good thing is that you don't die from it. You're just, it's like having really bad chicken pox but instead of the chicken pox you have boils that kind of that looks like it looks painful i wonder if it's like painful is it painful um well it's just very scratchy and itchy and uncomfortable and so on and so forth like chicken pox for adults right right? i don't remember when i had um remember having them i mean when they sent me up on the ward, I did kind of make an idiot myself because they, they go, oh, you know, can you go to the monkeypox ward? Um, I said, sure, I'll go up there. The monkeypox ward. And um, and I said, I go, isn't this a bit racist? And they go, what do you mean? I go, well, come from Africa and you're calling it monkeypox. I go, I go, Roseanne Barr lost a job because of this. They go, no, it's actually caused some monkeys. I go, okay, that's fine. So <laughs> I'm like, why did they get the name monkeypox? I was like, oh. But yeah, so anyway, it's... Um, so just dealing with that, then um, you know, of course, like I'm flying, you know, flying up next um tomorrow to do a talk, and then um, of course, that will be done, and then um, yeah, I'm just getting stuff here and there, so I've been quite busy with that. So, but I'll be back on to a regular schedule very, very soon. So I figured but you're it, busy. You're very quiet the last week. Yeah, but I've been watching some stuff. You know, I have caught time to watch some, some certain stuff. I've watched um. The Staircase, I'm, I'm watching that with, with Tony Clapp, which is very good, based on the Netflix document, docu-series. And so that's very good. And just watching bits and bobs. And just, yeah, I'm waiting for the Cronenberg new film to come out to go see, because I heard people, when somebody says somebody's walked out of a horror film, it's just like, that's, oh, yeah. that's it. I know. That's just like open invite. Okay, I'm so down now. You know, body yeah. horror, why not? You know, it's Cronenberg, what? so... When I saw when I saw Hostel, I didn't really know anything about it. And a friend of mine that said, movie oh. disturbed the shit out of me. He said he said just wait. He said just wait. As I was watching it, 
um, occasionally we would see audience members get up and leave, and he just would lean over and say, casualties. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. There's a, there's a TV thing that is a little pursuant to Dark Shadows and the future of Dark Shadows. Can I, can I bring it up? for just a moment yeah, it's a, it's a thing if we're talking about what we're watching uh strange new worlds star trek strange new worlds have have either of you seen any of it no, i have I not personally it is uh, okay well it's i think maybe the most consistently high rated new series according to rotten tomatoes ever uh i it seems to be universally adored and what is important about that is that the reason it seems to be a success is that they took what people love about Star Trek and simply distilled it and amplified it rather than trying to change it, alter it, create uh, humorous commentary on it, given it's the 10th anniversary of a certain movie called Dark Shadows. Um, and I think its success and the success of its tone may very well dictate the future of other um, revivals of, of series. I think they may have cracked the code. And fans of Dark Shadows uh, might want to might take a look just to see if tonally it does what they would like to see done with Dark Shadows. Are they going to actually have a Dark Shadows? Is it actually going to come out? I, well, I don't they're in the, know. They're in the process. They're in the process. Of, they're in the pre-production stage of it. So they are in pre-production. Yeah. Mark Perry the, does uh, not give it up. I know that. Yeah. I mean, I think. Um, I think they're going to have to do it. I think they're going to have to. I think it could be a success. All they have to make sure they, you know, they get the. Everyone's this song's everyone's very good looking in it, and they keep you know they have to go for that CW audience. I think they probably do quite well. No, they'll probably get going to be what between eighteen and forty-five. Probably, yeah, I imagine so. And then given, and then you know, to make sure you know, it's going to be a kind of weird thing because it's going to have to be. I imagine it's going to have to go for a Riverdale kind of vibe for it, which is you kind think? of a nod. Well, it's going to have to give a nod to it, but at the same time, the audience that they're going to be reaching for is going to be the younger set, so they're not going to have a lot of background history, so. You, you don't think it's going to be like a like a total like dark gothic vampire diaries? Well, I think I think I think they got a lot more ways to grow uh, grow with it. I mean, you know, science fiction horror um, series now are all soap operas anyway. Every single one of them is a soap opera. True, that is true. So, so you know, the I mean, show. A way Excuse me. I was just going to say the showrunner Mark Perry is a huge fan, an actual huge fan. Of the uh, of the original series, and I I think he's working with several of the original actors very closely on it, uh, and I I get the feeling that not only is it is it going to be to a certain extent a continuation, but you know working in obviously younger actors and newer characters, I I think it's he has seen what has happened three times, and I think he wants to maybe make a different choice, and, and by that do something that is intrinsically appealing to the current fans while appealing to new ones. Are they going to like have a take? Are they going to um, like, they're not going to start off with like episode 206, 
Barnabas arrives. Kind no, of no, no. It's gonna, no, it's gonna. I mean, it's gonna happen in today's world. It's gonna happen right. in 2023, 2022, whenever it gets made. It's gonna start from today. So, okay. you know, so what may this, have happened? This, what may or may not have happened to the characters? Um, this is all gonna be, be new. Well, I mean, basically, you know, what happened to the characters within that since it last aired will, you know, come down to basically, you know, where where, where would they be now? Right, and, right. And continuing to point forward. The model, the model he's used a number of times in discussing it has been Star Trek The Next Generation. So that kind of gives you an idea of uh, where he may be going. Gotcha. So it could stand on its own, but at the same time, there will be some little Easter eggs in there to idea, you know, to a nod to the past. I imagine so. Well, I would because, hope. You know, well, I mean, and I mean, I think the best thing he's doing is not doing, not doing like Batman, where we need an original story. You know, let's go back to the original story and let's redo this over again. Where you know we kind of get that. We got that with the the Dan Curtis Dark Shadows from the 90s, didn't we? We're like kind of regurgitating what we've already seen, but at a faster pace sort of thing. So, so we'll see. Uh, that'll be interesting. You know, I think, it's, I think it's one that before anyone can hoo and ha or yay or nay it, I think it's, I think it's got to be, you know, wait to see what comes out of it and take it on its own merits. And so, you know. It seems legit. I mean, the name of it, the, his, the working title is Dark Shadows Generations. But to give you a bit of an idea, we're, okay, I kind of can, I can, can figure things like that just from that. Yeah. It would be nice. It'd be, I would really I love that. a fresh outlook, new characters. You know, I mean, I, I mean, I guess, I, I guess another thing basically is, you know, it's going to be kind of hard to, you know, do the Barnabas as often because the those actors have now since passed on, sort of thing. So, you know, do you get someone in to look like him or? And they're not going to be him, and you know, it'll, it'll be interesting how they go, the, you know, how to forward it, forward thinking I, on it. Right. I assume because they are going to have, from from my understanding, some of the original characters appearing again. You know, obviously decades older, um, like cameos, I, or I don't. It may be regular. Well, I mean, I, I'm like, know, this is just, mean, Ma- this Maggie is just me guessing, get, but Maggie could be someone's grandmother. You know, uh, sure. Laura Parker could come back as someone's grandmother. I mean, they could all come back as relatives. I mean, David, David and Amy's could, could be David and Amy's offsprings, really. Right. Could, yeah. I mean, they they might yeah. be. I mean, they, they uh, might be grand. They might be grandparent age now, or you know, whatever. Or it could be his grandchildren, or what you know. I mean, there's enough scope there that you know, even David Selby's character. I mean, he could be yeah. or grandfather or grandfather. Right. I. I would not be surprised by that, by seeing, you know, maybe Quentin again or right. maybe Maggie again. Any of, the, any of the characters that we are familiar with, with actors that are still with us, I would not be surprised if some of them appeared as those characters in the year 2022, three, whenever they, whenever they do it. Um, that, that I would, uh, I would say... I don't have I don't I don't have any direct information on this, but from everything I've heard, everything that's been animated, uh, I think that's that's a that's a, a pretty good likelihood. Um, so uh, and they look I mean I mean good lord, uh, Catherine, David, Laura, they they look great. So that's a that's a that's a real 
bonus there. Um, and with Barnabas, you know, the show had so much body switching. You know, just with Patofi alone, you know, he's in and out of other people's brains, uh, you know, nigh under constantly. So, uh, you know, that that alone, using seances, possessions, uh, you know, secret formulas, Boris Balenkoff's machine from Gillian's Island, whatever. Uh, I, I think I think that would uh, that would probably be pretty likely. And another thing with Barnabas, anyway, when the show closes, he's human anyway. So he he's going to have he's going to have a now that, he, you know, the show closes with him being human. So he's going to have an expiry date anyway. So what we're going to do now is we're going to cut to Fiery Kitten Podcast and make sure you listen to their podcast as we have an ad for them. Are you itching for a good story? Laughter among friends, maybe even a mystery or two? Well, you're in luck. Fire Breathing Kittens is a standalone Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Each episode is a separate three-hour-long story, like a movie for your ears, so you can listen to these adventures in any order you like. So join us on a real play D&D quest as we solve mysteries, attempt comedic banter, and enjoy friendship. Fire Breathing Kittens podcast, fantasy action, mystery, friendship. Well, welcome back to Legends Podcast. We're discussing Dark Shadows, April to May 1970, episodes 983 to 125. And we'll start off with scene one, which is Dan Curtis does Hitchcock's Rebecca. Daniel devises a plan to scare Maggie, who hears humming when Daniel speaks to Angelique's portrait. Maggie buys a record for Daniel. Quentin is furious to hear Ode to Angelique, written by Bruno. Maggie and Quentin have an argument. Maggie leaves Barif as her marriage deteriorates. Maggie returns after a few weeks, and Quentin warns her it is not safe for her to stay at Collinswood. Quentin comes home from the hospital and finds evidence of witchcraft in Maggie's suitcase. Maggie has a bizarre dream in which Quentin is the murderer of Angelique. Angelique causes Maggie to have a dream about finding a secret. Hoffman tricks Maggie into wearing Angelique's dress to a costume party, and Roger cruelly complains Compares Maggie to Angelique, whose voice taunts Maggie. So, Patrick, what are your thoughts of these episodes? <laughs> um, it is something of a, I, a little bit of a slow period of the show for me. It's the show kind of running in place, uh, you know, creating time for them to go shoot the movie. Within that, though, there are a couple of things to think about. Uh, one of them is. If you've never seen the show before, this is Dark Shadows, and Dark Shadows keeps reinventing itself. One of the things I find uh, I find interesting is that potentially, if this storyline had taken off, think about it, if it had really taken off, it would have become Dark Shadows. And I think it's sort of a little bit of Dan Curtis sitting down and thinking, well, while I've got these people spun off into the movie, what if we had Quentin as the head of the household? What would that look like? Uh, Captain Lee Scott can do more than pour coffee and say pop, pop, pop. So what if she becomes the first lady of, of Collinwood and we take the sort of Vicky outsider idea and we simply amplify it? And, you know, I think Rebecca is going to be going to be mentioned with this. Um, and uh, and so it's it's sort of fun to watch that experiment. It's a little sad to see the experiment kind of, you know, uh, wear itself out for me. The star of it is, I, I mean, I love the cast, it's Christopher Pennock, who's doing some really interesting stuff as Cyrus Longworth. The, um, 
the the most poignant part of it is I think we talked about it was 985, which has, in my opinion, the best acting I've seen on the show. And it's a two-hander between uh, Catherine and David, uh, uh, Quentin and, and Maggie, where she leaves him. And it's, uh, it's unbelievably honest. It, it feels completely real. And it shows someone dealing with domestic abuse uh, in a, I think, a, a very brave, very decisive way that I hope was kind of inspirational for some of the uh, some of the viewers of the show. Uh, and you know, the other thing that I I think very strongly about is that it's clear that uh, that that Quentin, uh, the the parallel time Quentin character, may actually be the real monster, uh, just as an incredibly irrational, abusive uh, figure. He's supposed to be the hero. But he's awfully, he's kind of bossy. He's scary. kind of he's really he, he's now I, I've noticed like you know how he kind of berates and talks down to the women folk in the show like you know like Maggie and he's I mean temper it, he's got a bad temper I don't know if that's where they're going because most soap operas I I don't know if they were into promoting an idea I guess they were back then promoting ideas mm-hmm. mixed families and stuff like that. But he's really kind of, it's hard to watch David Selby be this kind of a turd. He really is. Well, he kind of reminds me of the Maximilian character in Rebecca, played by Laurence Olivier. Right, right, right. You know, where it's kind of like, you know, he, you know, him and his wife. And I mean, the thing about the Rebecca storyline anyway, which is, I mean, this, this is still carrying out before we finish this block anyway. Right. Let's see where they go. But, we, you know, you do find out that, you know, Angelique character or the Rebecca character is normally she's like felt within every single scene of the original Rebecca sort of thing. Well, her presence here, is in every episode of every minute of this whole block. Yeah, very little, but, but, not Angelique. But at the same time, what you did was got you know, you know, and I think you know, as you were saying about the filming, the, the film Dark Shadows is being filmed. At the same time, this is being done, right? And so I think that there's a lot of things that, because of people's where they had to be on set at the movie, sometimes I think the TV TV series kind of suffered because what we kind of get we kind of get the split in this Rebecca storyline. We get the beginning of the block, yes, we do. It picks up at the end of the block, and by that time you're kind of going, okay, well here we go again, and you kind of that, here we go back, we're treading again here, and I think that if they were able to you know, stick to a bit more. We, you know, we what we needed is more Hoffman as the Mrs. Danvers character. Oh my God! What know, a, and, what and, a ga- and gaslighting Maggie more, but we don't really get the you know we get touches of the gaslighting, but we don't get a lot of the gaslighting. Yeah, but you got Hoffman that, being Mrs. Danvers, and I'm trying to yeah, figure but, out but, if she's a good Mrs. Danvers or am I really? Uh, no, no, she, no, she's gaslighting Maggie. But the problem basically is, is that there needed to be more of that to actually feel that whole thing that because. What we, I mean, what they should have done with the, for us, the viewers, that we need to figure out is Maggie just a paranoid person right. or is she being gaslighted? And the thing is, they're not giving us that area of gray. They're kind of giving us this is black and white. So it kind of. Well, she is being been, gaslighted, though. She is being. No, no. Like, but no, the thing is, when you watch it, when you read the original Rebecca by Rebecca DeMoy right. or, or watch the Hitchcock thing. You don't know if the main character is being gaslighted or not. You don't know how much of it's in her head or how much of it's actually happening. 
and and that's what that's what makes the book and the movie work. Right. Here, unfortunately, um, I think due to casting times between the you know the TV show and the movie, I think they didn't have the momentum to actually keep that. They need to keep it in a, instead of a black and white situation that we know she's being gaslighted. We know this is happening. We know this is what's taking place. And they should have been a bit more fluid with it. So therefore, it's like you're not quite sure if Maggie's just a bit mad or is she being gaslighted? Because you know that she's being gaslighted. You know, it's kind of mentioned from the. I mean, I, we even get a. I think we do get a scene where Julia's talking basically about how they're going to gaslight her next sort of thing, you know, yeah. in, in this block. So it would have been, you know, if they were a bit more clever with it. And we needed more. And to be honest, we kind of need a bit more Hoffman as that person who's always there in the background, no matter what's going on. You know, she's kind of there. And of course, due to filming, of course, she probably, she probably couldn't be there sort of, sort of way because she had to film the movie. So, so I, th- I like where they were trying to go with it, but I don't think they f- were fully realizing how to go through with it. Because cause what we find out, of course, at the end of the movie, Rebecca, with, with Lawrence Olivier um, version of it, we find out that basically he wasn't that in love with Re- Rebecca. Rebecca was quite a horrible person. Sort of situation and so all this angst and all this you know he's losing his temper towards you know the new wife or in this case Quentin to Maggie um it, it all makes sense at the end of it because basically it's not really directed at her it's just that she happens to be there when it's all feeling too much for him and then she just seems to be the brunt of it where at the moment it Quentin just come you know he's coming across as a bit strong and about you know and then and then um you know, when we get to the next phrase, where we get the Angelique Alexis thing going on at the moment, then it, and I think that's where this storyline kind of takes a, I think this is probably why the turn, it didn't come to fruition there. When we get that, when we get the Alexis uh, Angelique storyline, because now we get Quentin being kind of enthralled with the Angelique character. Now, now he's actually in love with her. So that's kind of the change. Now we just taken the whole Rebecca storyline and kind of throw it out, threw it out slightly. You know. But is he in love with Angelique, or is he in love with Maggie? Well, he, he he's following. Or is he Alexis. in love with Alexis? Because he was kissing Alexis too. Well, he is following Alexis around like she's in heat. So yeah. <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> like she really is kind of on his leg. He's on her leg. Yeah. I don't know whose leg. Yeah. I mean, but I guess Maggie's most- out in the cold, no matter what. And she has well, the best I mean, legs of all. Yeah, yeah, she does have really nice gams. I was yeah. noticing which she had a really cute outfit on in the last episode. She was answering the door and she's really, she's really quite cute as a button. She was. Is it the green one with the collar? I don't know, but I just, she had the, 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 the really cool pantyhose. You know how the ghost has the, the line down the back? Sure. It's so hard to keep on. No, I'm wearing them now. No, you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is the line Thank perfect you. on your calves though? That is of course it is. But in wartime, I would use, you know, eye, eyeliner. <laughs> and, I think, uh, and I think another thing might be the David character fitting into this, this, you know. Daniel this or David? Dan, David. Well, it was Daniel. Sorry, it's Daniel. Sorry. Yeah. But the, da- the Daniel kind of fitting into this, that being kind of wedged into the storyline about, you know, his love for his mother and Maggie not being the, you know. So on and so forth. Though it was good to see that Maggie wasn't being a governess this time around. I'll give her that. I'll give right. Her that, so. But she did buy that album. Who who urged her to buy that album, Mom? Alexis? 
I think was it did Hoffman do Hoff, it? Hoffman, Hoffman, Hoffman that's it, right. Yeah. And that yeah. was that, that theme song, the piano sing th- theme song that Bruno wrote. Oh, D'Angelique. Yeah, I mean, oh, D'Angelique. I mean, I, I found it quite, you know, quite extraordinary. That what was it a hit? Was could he buy it down at your local Woolworths? You know, the, the O D'Angelique record. I mean, Bruno Hess was think, an important man. Well, they they did do demos on vinyl back in the day. Yeah, but she actually went to a store and bought it, so it must, it must be like that's must true. Be like, that's true. I digress. It must be yeah. like available in every record store across the country or whatever. Well, you know, there, so. there's a there's a weird bit of truth to that because one of the one of the things that we forget about the 1960s is uh, the incredible diversity of music that made it into the top 40. And you know, uh, everybody loves somebody. Sometime knocked. I want to hold your hand off the right. charts. And uh, I think the uh, artist with the most top-selling uh, songs, I think, was Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. Oh, my God. Was it, what was that album called when she's sitting in the big thing of cream? What was that called? Uh, Dana Elkar and Other Delights. Oh, my no, mother. Whip, that's whipped not, Cream. Whipped that, Cream yeah, and Other Whipped Delights. Cream. My mother played that, that album when I was five all the time and i, Great I album. remember it and it brings so many fond memories back if i ever just get a glimmer of hearing it off in the distance if you have access I mean, to it, photoshop it's a lot of fun to take really almost anyone you know and put them in the pile of whipped cream oh and be the girl with their face, sure. face. what did i sure. do? <laughs> I'll have to do that to my mother she <laughs> love loves it but I mean, it does show you that. Also, I mean, Bruno not only does he have a, a not he's not a novelist, but he's also got a you know a song that's available to buy at record stores. Okay, but can we clear this up before I forget? I just need to know. Inquiring minds want to know what is with his hair. Why is oh Bruno always the victim of a bad hair day all the time? In, the, in this case, there's an episode. It's lost, but Jim Pearson told me about it where he takes his thumb and he blows into it and it inflates. I oh. wish. <laughs> I wish. Uh, it is magnificent hair. It's it's astounding. He's got a Thank lot of you. hair. Is that his hair? Because me and Keith were talking about wigs upon once upon a time, weren't we? It's a wig. It's not a wig. I, th- I thought it was, I thought it was um, Julia Hoffman's old hair. <laughs> <laughs> I think it may have been his because you can see it evolve. Yeah, from, from Aristide, and it it continues to uh, you know to engorge uh, as he as he <laughs> plays. Yeah. Yeah. As he as he plays uh, as he plays Bruno in uh, in you know primary time, uh, right. and and then it reaches uh, full straining height in parallel time. I guess he yeah. just doesn't have the facade or the the look about him to give him a part of a nice guy. He's always yeah, going to yeah. be that whiny little villain. Yeah, I think I think with him though, I think he's one of these people that probably was growing his hair to be cut. Because I mean, you got to remember, this is like, you know, we're coming, you know, long hair for 70s. guys is quite. We're still quite trendy at that time, even though the hippie era is kind of get, was kind of being killed off by Manson. But you know, <laughs> I but but you know, there are there was like there's two kinds of guy hair that you can have. You have like the ones where your hair kind of grows out and you look like you know a, a friend of Jesus. Or you yeah. kind of get that, or you kind of get that one where your hair doesn't kind of grow down; it kind of just grows out. And I think he's part of these. I think he's part of that ones where the hair just kind of grew out, where it's like you know, 
you have a hair you grow you can either have the hair of jesus or a hair have a hair helmet and i think bruno had a hair helmet. i find him like one of those train wrecks i can't stop watching i don't know why i find him fascinating sometimes he irritates me but oftentimes he fascinates me <laughs> i don't know why I just, michael's Michael Strode is one of my favorite characters, one of my favorite actors on the show. He he does play a relentless series of, of sleazes. Yeah, uh, which I he think is. is. He's such a bad guy all the time. Uh, which I think is the title of a Dr. Seuss book. But um <laughs> but but also he nails it. He nails yeah. it every I, time. I like and you can't yeah, he does. Not He's very it. entertaining to watch. He's highly entertaining to watch. The, the only problem with his character, and this happens with every single character that he plays throughout Dark Shadows, but he's like that really bad Bond villain that's like, instead of just killing Bond, he decides to tell Bond the whole plan of what he's going to oh, do. Oh, I know. You and get then, the whole story comes, before you do it. Why do they do that? I'm going to tell you everything, and then I'm going to and then look a bit surprised when it, it when it doesn't go through. It's like, well, you just told everyone what you're going to do. You know, he did it like, you know, like. Um, what's his name when he's being a werewolf in the tomb, you know, doing the Leviathan. It's like, I'm going to do this and this and this. And oh, this. I know. And then he gets the, the, what, was like, the, what was the silver on the ground now? I can't, was it the, uh, what was it? The silver cane or something. The silver yeah. cane, that's right. It was Barnabas' cane or something was on yeah. the floor and it had silver on it. Okay, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Right. But, but he's like one of these people who thinks he's very, very clever, but no matter what he does, it just it doesn't, never, he's never able to pull it off, is he? He's like, you know, it doesn't appear so. So it close, appear but so. yet so far. So, which I think makes him weirdly sympathetic as a villain. Also, is he's a consummate weasel, and <laughs> uh, and and he always gets it handed to him. So he's he's almost this you know Punchinello figure. Well, he's such a brown nose, though. It's just like well, I, I yeah, but, but, but he can't li- he can't lie to save his life. He does not lie effectively either. Let's oh. face it, he's a he's a walking irony engine. Yeah, yeah, possibly. I'm trying to figure out in this plot. Well, I guess we, I don't know if you mentioned it when I, when I read this. Is is everybody in love with Angelique? Peter Stroka too. You mean in real life? No, 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 not really. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, you got ghosts in this thing in love with Angelique. Yeah, it doesn't stop. You know, even even by putting on B. Arthur's pantsuit, it doesn't it doesn't Father. really take away all of the ardor that she generates. Yeah, everybody seems to be in love with her. I know that. And well, she's 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 the only one that's actually showing a bit of breast as well. <laughs> Everyone else is kind of like high collared. Everyone's well, no, I mean the last few she's had pretty high collars on, except for when they had the period dresses on. Now that shows a little cleavage. No, but what I'm saying, An- Angelique always comes out, always has a little bit of cleavage, where everyone else is kind of wearing high collared outfits. Yeah, you know, like you know, buttoned up. And, but maybe she had on a really big flowing whatever that was. I guess the big baggies. I like baggy clothes. I don't like skin tight clothes anymore. But she had this big, baggy, really whimsical 60s, turnover 70s thing on. I guess that was the groovy thing to wear back then. The only, yeah, the only other a lot cleavage, of flares going on. The only other cleavage I know on the show uh, was an episode where Sheriff Patterson lost his tie. And it, it got unbuttoned a little bit. And Dana Alcar had something going on. I don't know why. But that's the closest <laughs> we got with somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well,
speaking of Angelique, this brings us to scene two, which is called Angelique, Alexis, which witch is which? Yeah. Alexis Stokes, Angelique's identical twin sister, arrives. Bruno obtains Angelique's address book and produces a deed to the cottage on the Collinswood estate. Trying to learn the truth about Alexis, Bruno decides to open Angelique's tomb. Alexis inquires about the seance at which Angelique died. Carolyn and Cyrus find Sabrina at Collinswood preparing for a new seance. At the seance, a spirit speaks through Sabrina and Alexis faints during the ceremony. Daniel insists Alexis is really his mother. Hannah Stokes promises to help Bruno. Her tarot cards reveal something startling about Angelique. Alexis attempts to stop Clinton and Cyrus from opening Angelique's tomb. Angelique's body is discovered perfectly preserved in her coffin. Angelique drains the life from Alexis and switches places with her. Hannah discovers the secret about her niece, Angelique. David and Amy find Barnabas' portrait. Angelique reveals her secret to Hoffman. Angelique's incantation causes Quentin to collapse. Angelique suddenly feels icy cold and realizes she needs a victim for warmth to survive. And Angelique attacks Colin's family lawyer, Larry Chase. So, Vix, what's your feelings about Angelique? Versus I'm trying Alexis? to figure out if she's a psychic vampire or a succubus. Um, she, needs, she obviously needs energy or warmth, and it seems like she's preferable to males at this point, because I think in this she gets two people in this, episode, this block, doesn't she? She feeds off of two people? Yeah, well, she yeah. feeds off, off the lawyer. Off the lawyer, and then there yeah. was somebody before that, wasn't there? But, I mean, okay, so when she comes back, I found this, it was an anxiety attack. I really did like the, this part. I think this was kind of a really cool little showcase for Lara Parker to show her stuff because while they were filming in upstate New York, you know, she had her chance to really shine in some of these episodes because there aren't all the characters there to detract from anything she's doing. And I thought she really excelled in these. The one thing that I thought I really liked my favorite scene was when she was talking to her sister in the casket where after when they were exchanging, you know, she was going in there to say goodbye to her. Clearly they were going to destroy the casket. She switches places with her. And they have that little um, aside together about how she's going to, you know, live on. And then they end up burning the casket, which is like, well, that sucks because there's no chance for Alexis ever coming back, right? Unless she comes Mm -hmm. back from the dead, which I won't know because I don't remember any of these. So I don't know what's going to happen. Um, When it comes to uh, that address book, I was really trying to figure out why everybody was after that address book. What was in the address book? Is the um is the D to the cottage? Okay, okay, I, I d- did not remember that. And okay, so you got Sabrina. Okay, Sabrina is taking care of. Oh, what's the good doctor's name? Cyrus Longhorn. Cyrus, I love that name, Cyrus Longhorn. He's he's he is such a he's such. I think he is so sweet. This. I mean, after we've watched it be such a little turd through all the Leviathan stuff, you've got the mild-mannered Clark Kentish type of, you know, professor. The part that really started to, I just, I, I struggled with was when he did do the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing, when that starts. Yeah, and why, well, let me, we'll, be, we'll be discussing that in the next scene. Oh, okay, so. okay. I got ahead of myself. But I didn't understand. Okay, so you got Alexis. Um, they w- didn't want to open the tube, apparently. But I'm still trying to understand at this point, I know they all have a connection with Angelique, but what is Cyrus's connection with her, really? Isn't it? I think it's more about his um, friendship with 
Quentin more than his association with Angelique. So you think by association because they were married? No, what I'm saying is that he's he's, he's not there um, as far as for or against Angelique. He's there more on behalf of helping Quentin come to terms or figuring out about what the Angelique situation is. Right. You know, a bit like, you know, a bit like, um, you know, if I'm in a, you know, if I'm in a relationship and you're helping me sort out that relationship, you're not, you know, it doesn't mean that you're actually entwined with the person I'm in a relationship with. Just means right. Okay. She killed the caretaker first or whatever that slime ball was. Remember she yeah. kept saying, I mean, this ugly gardener guy, kiss me, kiss me. I'm going, Ooh, no. Oh, that guy. Yeah. Who yeah. Was that? yeah she killed him first. So it's like, Ooh, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if she's a, a psychic vampire or, an, or a succubus or an incubus type thing. Well, actually succubus female. What did you, she's what, there what is, to keep the ensemble she? small. What do you all think she is? I was going to say that she she's probably more of a psychic vampire because I mean it seems like she she's spending a lot of time reaching beyond the grave sort of thing, isn't she? So, right. Um, and then, uh, and I you know I you know maybe an incubus maybe more of an incubus succubus kind of kind of a character. Well, I mean succubus te- draws on sexual energy. There's sexual energy going. There's sexual yeah. tension anyway. And 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 she's killing people's life force. She's not draining. She's draining them of their life force. She's not draining right. them of their blood or anything like that. So. Right. It kind of reminds me of the. Su- I don't know why this keeps coming. Maybe because my husband was watching it a couple nights ago or whatever. The Star Trek episode with the salt creature that sticks her hands on you. With the, the, the man trap. The man, yeah, and she sucks all the salt out of your body. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I was thinking that the other night ago. I just was. Well, well and you I know. Think... Sorry, Go ahead. No, Keith, please. Um, I mean, I guess, I mean, we do get kind of, you know, we're kind of also getting a little bit of shades of the, um, you know, what's her name? Um, uh, Roger's wife, basically. Laura. You know, who, Laura, Trying to get in the oh, whole fire, fire. Of, okay, yeah, Phoenix. Yeah, Laura. by the war fire. And, you know, and, and the Phoenix, I mean, Laura was a bit like that as well, where basically it was the life force that she was after, not the, not the blood or anything like that. So we were kind of getting a little bit, a slight parallel to that, but not a full Well, Barnabas was that. asking her when she was talking to herself, when she was trying to, like, mess with Maggie's head, you know, you like the fire. I think at that point he's starting to figure out something isn't quite right. You know what I mean? Sure. Because, you know, he knows that the original Angelique was afraid of fire. But yet, yes. she's sitting there in this dimension, sitting there by the fire, talk while she was actually Jinx and Maggie and messing with her head. But, you know, it, it, Barnabas at this point, this is where I left off. He, you know, he, or the one thing that remained in my head after this is Barnabas is kind of onto her, I think. Oh, sure. Um, we, it is a bit unclear about, um, Angelique's roots anyway. I mean, the thing is, we're in a parallel time sort of thing, so Angelique the witch, during the time of Josette, was she a witch at that time? Because this is a parallel time, so we're unclear about that. We do know that somewhere along the way, that Angelique basically got married to a Stokes, because she's Angelique Stokes, so basically... I don't know. I well, don't know if Angelique was having an affair with Ben Stokes or Ben, or after Ben learned to read Stokes. I'm not quite sure there. <laughs> I mean, she's uh, she's she's a in this universe. She's a Stokes by birth. 
Yeah. Uh, because because pro- there's another Professor Stokes, and that's her father. Yeah. So, so we're not. Yeah, I don't. We're think- not quite sure about what happened in the 1700 storyline. Anyway, if that even. Oh, place. I think I always take this as being a, a totally different character who just happens to look and be named Angelique. So therefore, she uh, wouldn't be a witch. She wouldn't be a witch during this parallel time. So, yeah, she, she, she wouldn't. She you know the powers or anything like that. One of the things that that disappoints me about this storyline is also one of the things that I think uh, is is its strength, and 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 it it has what I'm looking for. It just kind of hides it, tucks it away, and that is if you're going to do a parallel universe, give me some daggers and give me some beards on characters who don't have beards, and let's see what the differences really are, rather than just have it be a little bit, you know, to the left, do something else with it. And I used to feel very strongly about that. And then I thought to myself, you know what? They call it parallel time. They don't call it perpendicular time. They don't call it opposite time. No. It just is kind of running alongside. And the, the cool thing about that is that when you start to look for the major uh, – ontological difference between the two universes, between primary time and parallel time, it's the role of magic. And it's the role of the supernatural. The I really can't think of almost any supernatural things in that universe that show up in the prime universe whatsoever. It's a very different take on all of that. There's a little bit of mad science involved. There's a little bit of chemistry involved. Even though they wave around this book on witchcraft, and even though Willie or William... Oh, the seventh level of witchcraft. I died laughing yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. And, and even, though, even though William is fascinated with, uh, with Barnabas as a vampire, uh, those don't really exist in, in, this, in this universe. It's a, it's a much stranger for us take on the occult. And it's a chance to, uh, to I think, explore some differences there. So I, I like the fact that they, that they choose that as the point of, of primary divergence beyond just nuances of the characters. And Angelique's a reflection of that because Angelique would not fit in, pr- traditional Angelique wouldn't fit in in this universe. For one thing, I think she would just mop the floor with it. There's, there's yeah, no she question. Wouldn't, she wouldn't have tolerated half of this. Uh, I mean, no. another thing is, it's like you know, you know, even take the Stokes thing in this parallel time. The Ben Stokes that she is, you know, the great granddaughter of, doesn't mean that the, the Ben Stokes was the Ben Stokes that we saw in 1795 previously. He could oh, have been well, like a teacher, it's... or or he could have been. He might not have been a servant, or Angelique. Might, maybe it wasn't. Um, you know, maybe it wasn't um, Josette that came over. Maybe it was Angelique that came over. With, Probably to be married to someone else. Sure, you know, it could be almost anything. So sure, and um, but I, I mean, I don't think that you know, I don't think she's a witch in in, in, in this here anyway. I mean, she's using tarot cards. She's you know, she there's not there's not the things that we come expected with Josette. There, I mean, with Angelique here, we don't have the incantation. We don't have the you know, let's make a doll out of someone and let's do the, you know, let's do the pins and the doll. We're not getting any of that here. She's kind she of still does wrong. some of the same stuff, though. She does, she is. but the, yeah. 
Uh, she does, but it's it's different. It's not it's not the Angelique that we've come to we come to know. It's not it's it's it's, it's Angelique with a new bag of tricks. Okay, I can I can deal with that. And and who's missing one really important thing? Uh, the when we first meet Angelique, she has one thing about her that's her saving grace. She's in love with the same character we are for different reasons, but, but we can all agree we're crazy about Barnabas. Right. And, and that consistently, I won't say softens the character, but it adds a lot of nuance. You can't get mad completely at her motivation, just how she goes about executing it. This Angelique is just a jerk or or more colorful words than that a j-e-r-k jerk and it's kind of a chance for barnabas to get some stuff out of his system because it's like oh wait this is uh, this is angelique and and she's just completely evil and she's not in love with me oh this is going to be good saving the collins family is going to feel really good on this one and and i think in a meta sense getting that out of his system is one of the things that may clear the path for him to do what he does at the end of the series. Right. I mean, I guess another thing with Angelique, I mean, this is a nod to Edgar Allan Poe's Tuna Lygia as well. You know, so we're getting some nods there with, you know, Lygia yep. coming back and, and that whole storyline as well. So, you know, we got, we got a lot needs the of sunglasses. Yeah. <laughs> But we are getting a lot of um, Curtis. Um, you know, Cur- Curtis does the classics. <laughs> so we got oh Rebecca, sure, we got Tumalajia now. And now we're getting you know, and then when we get into the next scene where we get Robert Louis Stevenson popping in now, sort of thing. But I mean, I it's the only thing I kind of wish. The only thing I think that you know that they kind of missed out on. I would like to have more of a differentiation between the two personalities of Alexis and Angelique a little bit. They kind of yes. flowed in, they kind of flowed in a little bit too close to each other. You know, I can't, you can't it's almost a bit like, um, it's almost like watching the parent trap of Haley Mills. It's kind of like, you know, they were so similar that it was really kind of hard to figure out who was supposed to be where anyway. Sort of thing, because it is that so close. Is that a storytelling advantage? Or is there a storytelling advantage that they wring out of that occasionally? Well, I mean, I guess the I guess the whole thing is is that I guess where it kinda of, it could kind of work in the advantage is that we don't hear, we don't see Angelique really until she enters Alexis's body anyway. So the only mm-hmm. thing that we know about Angelique's character is by what we're being told, you know, through everyone else's eyes. And, um, but it does seem from everyone else's eyes that everyone, when they see Alexis in the way that she acts, it, uh, that people are still unsure whether she's Alexis or just Angelique the intending to use Alexis. So, so these identical twins seem to be more identical in more ways than one, more than, you know, kind of must be identical in personality and talking and body structures and language and everything like that seem must be hand in hand. I mean, they're probably the most identical twins that we've ever seen in the face of the earth, really, from what they're saying. <laughs> you know, so I guess it would, you know, it would, I, I kind of, I guess I wish I could have a bit of a, a bit of a more of a spin going on here with them. 
you know, a different kind of Alexis Angelique situation where, you know, you know, Alexis is maybe one way and Angelique's another, you know, Angelique, Angelique that we kind of know acts this way and the new Alexis might be, you know. Well, do you think Alexis different. was kind of on the take too, though? Because she also knew that uh, uh, Quentin's married and she kissed him anyway. So, I mean, I'm trying, I was kind of confused as to how her other, her innocent counterpart was, you know, it just, well, it didn't make sense. I think this is this. I think this sometimes is where Dark Shadows kinds of pale slightly, where we don't get a lot of backstory with some of these characters. They kind of come on, and there's like this is this character from this point forward, and it maybe it would have been nice to have a little bit of backstory about how close were Alexis and Angelica's sisters. Or I I don't think they were particularly close. Although I mean, it, well, I guess it depends on how how we define closeness in that sense the the thing i like about uh about the relationship i do like the subtlety of difference because it it adds to the the sense of ambiguity of wait hold on which is which is which however you know somehow alexis is the one with the thick glasses and you know the 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 one who wasn't a good dancer and the one who wasn't a good uh a good athlete and so on. She finally polishes it up and she may really polish it up. I think when Angelique's dead, because now she's the star. I mean, she is, I get the idea. She is Jan to Angelique's Marsha. Yeah. Yeah. And, that's a good analogy. Yeah, and no, so I, I of course she's going to grab Quentin. It's like, Oh damn it. I was too late. Maggie got in there, but wait, wait, she's gone. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, I guess another thing is, is that, you know, you know, if she's a Stokes and then, you know, you know, and she married into the Collins family, I mean, basically, obviously she married up, you know, oh, yeah. assuming that she would marry up from being, you know, whether you're a professor's daughter or, you know, if you're a professor's daughter and you're marrying into this old, old rich family, old money, then you're marrying up, aren't you? So there's also oh, yeah. that. From Alexis's point of view, you know, her sister married up. Yeah, she married into so. the she married into the big house on the hill where everybody, you know, where who owns the town instead of being like one of the townsfolk. She graduated the, into royal, you know, town royalty, I think. So, sure, the the deluxe apartment in the sky. <laughs> See that we did have we did find Barnabas's portrait because it really wasn't. In its usual prestigious place of, you know, showing. Well, the question is, I mean, Bar- is, would Barnabas have been a vampire? I mean, we don't know. It's a parallel time. So he's he probably just a footnote in the family, you know, in the, fa- in the family history in this parallel time. Yeah. Is there a reference to him having gone to England? Well, the thing is that first of all, there's no coffin in this in this time period with him in it anywhere. I found oh, oh I don't mean on. that metaphorically. I'm just yeah. saying does 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 William he's he talking about Well, Barnabas lacks a lot of uh, imagination when he pops into these storylines because he's using the same storyline, oh, I was in England, and then Quentin goes, There's no mention of the Barnabas going to England. I do, he does mention that in passing sort of thing. But they don't really say what happened to Barnabas. I'm assuming that the, the original Barnabas probably just died of old age or 
guy from Florida or whatever happening. Sure. I mean, imagine Barnabas without all of that other stuff. He's he's kind of dull. He's he's sort of a goody goody. He's kind except for you know messing around with Angelique and the islands, but but that's kind of the extent of it. He's kind of bland. We never really find out what he does at the shipyard. Um, you know what his specific task is. Um, he's no in terms of being interesting. He's no Jeremiah. No, well, he's a man. He's a man child, isn't he? I mean, he's like a yes, a little lost boy stuck in a thirty-year-old body. Sort of sure. Thing, I mean, you know? he's even dressed like the blue boy when he shows up. Yeah. You know, at the beginning of uh, seventeen ninety-five, and he does that thing where he brushes his hair forward. When you know, you know, when like older people try to look younger and they brush their ho- hair forward. <laughs> yep, <laughs> You're doing that as yep. well. <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't ever that doesn't always turn out to be very complimentary. <laughs> Try, trying to cover his widow's peak. Look at me, I got a fringe. But um, sure, yeah. So I mean, so you know, this Barnabas in this in this time, parallel timeline. I mean, we don't know a lot about it, but you know, he. I mean, this is where Bart. You know, we'll get into more of the Barnabas later. But this is where we kind of get Barnabas is a bit naive about this parallel time a little bit as well. So that thing, you know. He kind of shows his cards a little bit too quickly here, where maybe it probably would be better if he kind of just sat back and, like, you know, take in the scenery before you start adding to it sort of thing, so. Now we're at scene three. Curtis does Robert Louis Stevenson. Cyrus drinks a potion and collapses. Cyrus learns about damage caused by John Yeager. Cyrus refuses to tell Horace Gladstone the purpose of his experiment. Cyrus takes another potion and begins a transformation. Yeager has a fight at the Eagle Tavern and physically abuses barmaid Buffy Harrington. At Cyrus's laboratory, Yeager is confronted by Quentin, who questions him about Cyrus. Yeager assures Sabrina that Cyrus allows him to store items in the laboratory safe. Gladstone learns the secret about Cyrus's mysterious experiments. Gladstone attempts to blackmail Cyrus. Jaeger appears and confronts Gladstone. Jaeger discovers a hidden passageway and follows it to the old house basement. Maggie meets Jaeger on the docks, and he reveals details about the seance. So now that Tom Diamond's with us, so Tom, what are your thoughts of the season, uh, scene three? Well, thank you, guys. Um, I'm going to make a general comment, first of all, and, and say that this, uh, that this whole block, and I'm sure this must have been talked about before I came on board, uh, for me, it was a disappointment. Uh, I, when I first watched Parallel Time uh, back in the good old days, uh, I was fascinated by the uh, relationship, by the different relationships between the characters, um, the idea of Willie being married to Carolyn, uh, Maggie and Quentin, uh, Trask being a butler, which was getting what he deserved, uh, and, and, and so forth. Now, watching, watching this, though, it seems to be a rehash of, of old plots. Um, there's a, the, the Dr. Jekyll Hyde, which has been done to death. Uh, and I think that, I guess it was about time that Dark Shadows, uh, decided to try this. But I think, uh, they were, they were kind of experimenting 
uh, a little too, they were experimenting a little too much. You even see a putty nose the first time that uh, he changes uh, from Cyrus to Magian Yeager. And then they get rid of that putty nose afterwards. It's very, very, uh, it's very, very blatant. It obviously wasn't working for him and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Horace Glass. It was the shoe polish on the head that kind of threw me. <laughs> no, not not to mention the man, not to mention on the mustache, which was uh, you know they're all saying, oh, he had a mustache, you know that's going to really make a it's going to really make a big difference. Pennick did a really good job, though. All all whatever aside, I mean, I, I, I have to say, I I mean, he does portray two different characters, you know, which has been you know, which he done he did well. I mean, if you didn't, you know, let's sit there and say you were coming fresh in there and you weren't quite familiar with Chris Pennock's face, for instance, that when he does change into Jaeger, it's, it's quite a good transformation. Once you get past the, I mean, you know, I mean, I guess we kind of have to take notice that now we're living in an age where everything's kind of digitally enhanced now. So when you're watching these episodes, you're no longer watching through the snow of the TV antenna or the rabbit ears and you're kind of getting a, a clearer than clear picture that probably that was intended to watch these. So, so yeah, you do know this yeah. and stuff like this. But in, the, in those day, in the days that it probably was there, you probably didn't notice it that, as much as you do now, maybe. Well, so. I think there was also an understanding that these were not special effects. These were symbolic of special effects. It was not meant as a total illusion. I think it, it had more of a, a sense of uh, representation. Uh, you know, this represents a physical change. And I think also everyone knew, and it was one of the big things I was curious about. Everyone knew that this was shot live, live on tape. So they mm-hmm. didn't really have a lot of time when they stopped the camera right. to to change them around. And so how are you going to do that? And how are you going to do that and have him be somewhat credible? I know it's it's ludicrous looking at how he's dolled up somewhat credible as someone who might be attractive to some woman somewhere. Because, you know, if you look at the history of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, that character sometimes is almost an ape. Yeah. You know, is a, is a complete, I think, what is that, uh, what, Frederick March version is a, almost a total simian. So, yeah. so how are they, how are they going to do that? <laughs> and keep, yeah, and keep him as a a semi-romantic figure, as weird as that sounds, on a soap opera. Well, by episode yeah. 1025, they look like they're kind of getting down with his makeup a little better. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's quite amazing that they they went to the lengths that they did, considering how a quick change it had to be. I mean, you know, there have been, I mean, normally what would happen on Dark Shadows when you do have the, you know, the change, what you would do is like, End of you know end of the day. Okay, he's gonna change, and then the next episode, the next day, is him change sort of thing. But we kind of, I think we get a couple instances where he actually changes in the same episode, which is, you know, quite amazing when you consider you know considering the title and stuff like that. Um, I mean, we do know that Jaeger is part of the you know keep him mean, keep him keen kind of school of um you know women dating. Uh, so that's kind of like. What is he supposed to be a like a like a the, the women woman's dream or something? Something like that. I mean the the exact opposite. I think what Angelique, you know, one of the things about this whole block is 
this is uh, this is Angelique's show before Barnabas comes back. Anyway, I mean, oh, it's definitely Angelique's love. time to shine. There's Everybody's in it. love with Angelique, Roger, and Quentin, and and uh, uh, you know Bruno. what I miss about though Roger those quippy one-liners. Who is writing these up? No one's doing the one-liners. I mean, the first two hundred episodes, like God, I love Roger. It's a different Roger. It's a it's that's a Roger right. that's smitten. Uh, I know, by, but he gets smitten every other episode with somebody else. Well, but this time, it's always no, Angelique. This is a one, it's always Laura Parker. But this is, a, Ro- this is a Ro- one Ro- Roger's also a totally different character. I mean, there's nothing really attaching Roger to this family, really, because there's no son. You know, he. That's he's right. Different. Okay, he's, Daniel. He's, 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 Daniel in this is Quentin. Daniel is Quentin's boy. son. Daniel is Quentin's okay, son. Okay, and Amy belongs to a, uh, Chris. Their brothers, Chris and sisters, Jenkins. And there's nothing about the mother and that stuff like that. Yeah, I'm not but quite sure I, why Amy. I'm not even quite sure why Amy's doing in the house. To be honest with you, there's no reason for her to be there. Really, in this parallel time, except Scream, which she does very well. She but, does. Oh, wait, she's isn't got she it Quentin's down. daughter? What's that? Isn't she Quentin's daughter? No. No, 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 no. She's Quentin's, and that's interesting. And that's, no, they're cousins. Uh, oh. Oh, yeah, yeah Chris, Chris, the, Chris, Chris. Yeah, is, but I'm Chris trying is to figure brother. out how Chris, is Chris supposed to be a Collins in this universe? Chris is supposed to be well, a Collins, a- but it's not, it's not mentioned here how Chris is an ancestor that's all I was, of, I was just of, confused of, of the that. old Quentin. I don't know how that, I don't know how that, but one thing I do want to mention getting back to John Yeager is I think they, uh, the, the producers had hoped that the transformation would be augmented by the 1960s special effects that they were trying, uh, on camera, you know, where he, where he all turns green and, uh, seems to bundle out and, you know, and then, and then of course that white light, which was used prior when, uh, Adam, was uh, being was being revived, and I think they hoped that with a combination of that plus those Brooks Brothers clothes that uh, they had him wear, you know, he opens up the closet and there are all these clothes, and my God, you know, that's not something you'd see Cyrus wearing. Uh, and I don't know if Orbax came out with that stuff, but I think that's why <laughs> that's what that's what they were hoping for. I think in terms of. Uh, in terms of starting a John Yeager fan club, uh, um, the the main so for so for this and and then of course you have um, John Harkins as far as Gladstone. Now that is a disappointment to me also. John Harkins was great as uh, the uh, Dartmoor uh, Garth Blackwood. Oh, Garth Blackwood, yeah. Garth Black wasn't he a beauty? Wasn't he a villain? Uh, and my, and my, my aches and pains are going away just thinking of the way he used to just run through the, run with his chains through the floor and, and hit people, uh, willy nilly and killed Kapatapi. And, and he did a wonderful job as that. I, I think that the, this, uh, this character is, is a pale, is, is very, very pale as compared to the character that he had played in, uh, and, and of course, he had played another couple. He was Mr. Strack uh, down when they had that Leviathan thing back in 1949 when they were trying to convince Paul Stoddard. But but uh, there's no doubt that uh, I think that the Horace, going, getting back to scene three, 
I think Horace Gladstone is a minus uh, to the scene. I don't think there's enough tension between him, although he tries to establish it, but I don't think there's enough tension between him and Cyrus. Uh, he's, just a, he's, just a, he's just a nuisance, isn't he? Instead of like being a, a threat, he's just a nuisance. Right. Exactly. You know, it's like, oh, you know, let me do this or I'm going to lie. It's like, well, it's like, and it's like someone like, I don't know. Someone's like, you know, if you don't do this, I'm going to throw this paper airplane at you. But okay, fine, whatever. It's kind of, it has that kind of feel to it, unfortunately. There's, there's, he doesn't seem to have the weight to do anything to him anyway. You know, what's he going to do? You know, wait, wait, you know? which, who's, who doesn't have the weight to do what to whom? Gladstone doesn't have that seem to have any weight with oh. so he like he makes these threats about uh, Cyrus, but there doesn't seem to be any weight behind the threats. Like, like he can't really the threats that he have are kind of empty threats because he doesn't have the power to, to carry them through anyway. It just has that kind of feel to it for me anyway. Well, he doesn't know what the meds are about, and Cyrus won't tell him. And later on, of course, he does, but uh, it's too late. Uh, the the, the, the there's already become a an establishment. There's there's a relationship between two characters that was already established that Cyrus is the one in control. Whereas if you compare it with Garth Blackwood, I mean, he was in control of everything. Uh, so maybe, I don't know if that's an unfair uh, comparison to make, but it, this... Uh, this three, it's uh, it's it's definitely a minus. I don't think it has anything to do with uh, Harkins. I think uh, the writers just did it. I think that, I mean, you know, and I also think with the Pennick character, I think Pennick does a great job between the two characters that he's playing. But I think the writers, I mean, they're the Cyrus character, if you go back to the Jekyll and Hyde character anyway, you know, the Jekyll character is very mild-mannered, very neat, very, you know, very, you know, of uh, Victorian London, like the gentleman's gentleman situation. And then you get the Jaeger person who's the complete opposite, as you're saying, more of a Neanderthal kind of character. Where here, I think what kind of just sets us off is that Cyrus seems to be heavily involved in helping Quentin and being kind of like the brains behind that situation. So therefore his mild and meek character has a little bit more strength than probably than it should have really to actually play these two characters against each other. Um, and the Sabrina character, um, I mean, it's nice that she's there, but, you know, it's not quite sure exactly why she's there. She's well. his lab assistant. Well, it's a lab assistant who tends to be getting, who's a bit hot for, you know, hot for teacher sort of situation. Right. But, but, um, and this is nothing against Sabrina or against Chris Pennick, but they're, they're tend to be not very, I don't know, on, on paper, it probably looked good, but on screen, there's it's really It's not believable. No, well, yeah, there's no sparks between the two characters. It's almost like when we saw, you know, back in the 1790s, when, when we saw, like, there's supposed to be this huge and heavy spark between Josette and Barnabas. And the and we didn't get that, but we got the hot and heavy sparks between you know Joseph and Jeremiah and Jeremiah and Angelique and Barnabas actually had more sparks than this this love story of all time sort of thing, and it was kind of a bit like that. There, there was no great sparks to help sell that story a little bit, and you know I think that's something that either you know you either have as an actor that you can actually forgo, you know that either two people actually have that spark, but it's really hard to fake that spark sort of thing. So maybe you know, maybe it comes down to that. Mm-hmm. So. 
And I think it's appropriate that, that Barnabas and Angelique have that spark. That's the irony. That's the yellow impurity in the power battery. Right. And, um, and, and, and of course, it lays the groundwork for the rest of the series. You know, the, the Barnabas-Josette thing lays the groundwork for a few storylines and lays the groundwork for what Barnabas thinks his motivation is. Uh, but, uh, but that, that relationship with Angelique, that's that, because let's face it, she's the one that he, he had to choose not to choose, right? you know, and, and that to me really means something. And so uh, I, yeah, I love that about it. And it must I've never be. understood why he never chose her, though, when you think about it. I well, it's for, it's well, I, well I get it. I get it. But can you imagine how things would have been different? How it would have oh, oh, played out? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean you know, he, he would have taken that, you know, advertising job at McMahon and Tate. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, he would have. <laughs> I mean, basically, I mean, basically. It's all because of the class system, anyway. That's the reason yes. why nothing went through. She's a servant. You know, they, they, he was in love with a servant girl. And let's face it, no matter whether you're, yeah, you know, yeah, you're, yeah, you're, know. you're reading a harlequin romance, it's always the hottest thing is, you know, it's not the, you know, the two, pe- the two people of high class, you know, the two high class people getting together. That's not the bodice ripper. The bodice ripper is like, you know, the high class person going after the servant. That's where the sex and sure. the bodice rippers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's Helen Mirren, it's Helen Mirren and Jim Varney, yes. you know, Ernest uh, yeah. meeting, which that's a that's a movie. Uh, the 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 thing with um, you know, of course, it was also an arranged marriage, and right. so there was a there was a business impetus going on. But I'll tell you this: when it seems like it's necessary, uh. uh, uh Oh God, Joshua and his wife put up with the marriage. They put up with the marriage between Barnabas and Angelique. And, and one of the things that I think is really interesting is that if you look at a lot of their attitudes, to us, they're stodgy. They're incredibly old-fashioned. But if you look in the context of the 1790s, a lot of their attitudes, including just allowing the marriage at all, even having the discussion with Angelique, is very forward thinking. And I think that helps Barnabas because he's a man of the future from the past who winds up in the future and has to reconcile that. I mean, I always said that if he, if you're going to remake the dark shadow, they like remake it like, as the story as it is, then probably what would make more sense is make Angelique black. Yes. Because mm-hmm. you know, oh, she sure. would, or, a brown, or a brown woman, yeah. not you know, because mm-hmm. yeah. you know, basically she would have been from the islands, and then with the whole witchcraft and the, the Haiti, you know, voodoo and everything that she's doing with the dolls, and stuff, it would make yes. more sense. And would of course, there'd be more, more of an aversion, but at the same time, that forbidden love would even more, it would give that even more of a spark, sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But again, you're dealing, you know, with the 1960s. By the way, I know this is going oh, back to just the season two, but. Did any of you ever pick up uh, the Larry Chase character, uh, who was uh, one of Angelique's victims? Uh, that's actually a technical person on the show. <laughs> uh, Kenneth. Who uh, was it? Kenneth. I'm trying to remember now. God, it's just 
it, he was a technical guy, Tech, Ken Stevens or something like that, or uh, KT. Uh, but uh, but anyway, yeah, he was one of the technical people on the show, and he wanted a uh, and he wanted a break. Uh, he wanted a break into acting, so. Uh, Dan Curtis said, go ahead, and I guess he really did his lines very well. And uh, so uh, that was the, um, oh, my goodness, and I don't even have it in front of me. I'll have to. I'll have- <laughs> he did have that. I, he did have that feeling that if he was in Star Trek, he'd be wearing a red shirt, though, when he did appear. Oh, <laughs> right. oh I was going to bring that up. Yeah. You can always you tell can he's going to be wearing the red shirt and dark shadows, yeah. that's for sure. He's, he's, not, he's not long for this world. <laughs> sort of like the guy yeah. that Angelique sucked the life out of. You knew he was going to be the first red shirt. He's a red shirt. Gonna, he, wasn't yeah, very, he wasn't very promotable as a human being. He was a sleazeball. You know, no, it's kind curious. of gross watching beautiful Laura Parker kiss this sleaze bucket. <laughs> well, <laughs> Even it, though she it, sucked the life out of him, but okay. Well, Dark Shadows has a couple of tells in this. So, you know, now that we've gone so far into it now, that they do have a couple of tells. It's like, and they kind of come in and they kind of have like one line. Right. And then, and then, and then, you know, and then the evil character comes in and is like, that's it. <laughs> We're not going to see them. Well, no, anymore. it was just so funny how she dispatched me. She's going, kiss me, kiss me. He's going, why, hell yeah, you know. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> kiss me. <laughs> then she just, you know, he ends up like dead and he's behind, he's just see his feet from behind the couch. But I was expecting to see the mummy movie where, his, where he was all dried up, you know, <laughs> after him hooked up, gets everybody. <laughs> It's really the variant of the vampire thing because oh, uh, God, it was instead of biting the neck, she's just sucking the psychic life out of the lips and getting a nice smooch uh, yeah. out, of, out of it. Out of it too. Uh, I'm going to run and look up that name. I'll be right back. But you keep because now I'm curious. I got to run to the other room to get it. Uh, but go ahead, talk, talk. Yeah. But I'm, I mean, I'm quite you know. But you know, overall, I, th- I mean, if if it wasn't for Chris Pennick, I don't know. I mean. If it wasn't for Chris Pennick playing this part here, I don't know if any of else could have been able to do that. I don't think I mean, so. I, I, I mean, he I don't really think it... does seem to enjoy it. I mean, we find the little kind of strip with we we bust on it a little bit, but he actually did a good job. I mean, he, he, he had, they were two separate characters. You, you know when it was, um, you know when it was um, Jaeger coming on screen right exactly well the black hair the 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 widow's peak they kind of got rid of the 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 shoe polish widow's peak as the things went going on but but even even if you go by the way the lines are being said and the way it was being acted so if you like closed your eyes and just listened to listen to the two characters you could tell that they were they they were they felt like two different characters oh yeah absolutely absolutely you know better than the electric why he incorporated this this particular, you know, uh, this nuance from you know uh, Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde in here. I'm just trying to figure out why he did I think, that. I, I think it's basically basically coming from a you know going from professor to truck driver. <laughs> I think that's I think it's more you know more of that kind of feel to it. You know the rough part, the you know the the mild mannered professor, you know, experimenter, uh, and then the. <laughs> Jaeger character is the kind of person who's basically at the docks, basically just betrayed, you know. Right. Oh sure. And and that to me gives him a little bit of of breathing room in a way, because it it's the it's the I think it's the the most we've seen of that 
segment of society in the Dark Shadows universe. Again, bringing back this this idea of uh, of women as victims of domestic abuse. You know, he, he gets into that very heavily. But here's the deal. I think Jan Yeager has some positive qualities. I know that sounds odd, but especially in his context, he has some positive qualities because look at Steve. You know, he are we at that point yet? That's that's uh, 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 996. And, you know, when he that's that's the, the other woman Elizabeth Ice is, is kind of in, involved in. And speech is no is no prize. He's real grabby. Um, and, uh, and when Jaeger kind of dukes it out with him, I don't have a lot of sympathy for Steve. Um, it, it seems like Jaeger kind of fits in, in that universe a little bit. Uh, and, and, you know, the other question about Jaeger is if we look at the differences between him and Cyrus, Cyrus is a very political character. You know, Cyrus is going to kind of, kind of talk his way through things. And Jaeger's very direct. I don't know. I mean, if I'm Quentin Collins, I trust Cyrus. But everyone else, okay, you know, maybe Cyrus is, is out for his experiments, etc. However, I think Jaeger would be a very loyal friend. It could just be that Jaeger is this giant id. And that this happens to be a storyline where people are getting in his way. Uh, I, I've often wondered... What would a weekend in New York be like if John Yeager were your best friend? I mean, you'd wind up arrested. That's probably that, end up that, at the Pussycat Theater or something like that, you know? Well, that's or the Hi Hat Lounge. The Hi Hat Lounge. <laughs> the Hi Hat. Take me to the Hi Hat. By the way, that <laughs> was I, Ken, that was Ken McEwen, everybody. Oh, okay. That was Ken McEwen. He was the technical director. And he had his little 15 minutes in the sun getting smooched and killed by Angelique. Okay. There are worse ways to go. And he didn't do do a bad job acting. You know, he was on there for a few days, you know, uh, setting up his uh, lawyer thing and having his little, have his little scenes with, um, with Mad Yeager and, uh, and so forth. And uh, you're not talking about Gladstone, right? No, no, I'm talking about the lawyer. I'm talking about Larry yeah, Chase, the uh, okay, okay, yeah, I, the glasses and the dark hair, the tall guy. That yeah. was the technical director. Okay, of, okay, uh, yeah, okay. That was the technical director of Dark Shadows, Ken McEwen. Yeah, he didn't do bad at all, actually. I didn't and know that's who he was. And he's only one of two uh, uh, crew members who came on. The other one came on at the very last end of the show, and that's a trivia question, and we'll talk about that for. Uh, oh, and, I know who that is. Yes, but my lips you know, are sealed. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's um, it. Now, the one that. thing you brought up, you brought up Horace Gladstone. We brought up the Hi Hat Lounge. There is a rare Viewmaster reel of, I don't know when this was broadcast. It's not part of the, uh, it, it was one of those skipped episodes, but where they go to the Hi Hat Lounge and uh, John Harkins is leading the all male review. So if you can track down <laughs> that Viewmaster reel, it's breathtaking. It's not a Viewmaster reel. 3D has never been more 3D than, like than John Harkins in a posing pouch. It's like That's an true. experiment in Kaja Fo. I, I would, I would have true. liked to have seen Garth Blackbird oh, come I on that one. I see that. Someone's got that out that there. Is a, that, that is a bird of an ostrich feather. 
Well, if you're gonna, you know, if if I mean, if, if it is the call, a casual full, I have got a feeling you'd probably be seeing Roger there more than you'd be seeing any of the other characters there. <laughs> That's what you probably, think. No, you can't probably. keep Roger off the hunnings. Uh, <laughs> I have to sit there and say though, what I did find interesting about Jaeger was this sexual tension between him and Buffy. I mean, after he like, goes in after Buffy, I mean, she, she's you know she's scared of him, but he, she has this yearning that she wants more, which is kind of odd. Oh. It's kind of a well, they love to hate each other, kind of too. Well, like, I mean, he yeah. rusts her up, and she, I mean, I think she kind of. I think, I think that well, I think well, well, basically, wasn't that weren't they supposedly having rough sex? But nobody's going to say that. But it looked like rough sex to me. Yeah. They just were. Well, I mean, she, well they leave, was, the camera leaves the room. She's kind of disheveled. He's pulling his clothes back on. Precisely, and then she's asking, you know, and then when he does appear again, she's kind of like, you know, oh, keep away from me. Yes, yes, no, no, yes, yes, no, no. Your mouth is saying no, but your eyes are saying yes. He's going over here and rough fuck me now, yeah. Basically, like Pepe Le So it was quite interesting in its own way. So I think this is the excuse me. No, no, nothing. Please continue. Okay. Uh. So I think this will bring us to scene four, and then there is this. And this is basically the odds and ends of what's going on in between right. these storylines. And it's Bruno panics when Quentin reports he saw the ghost of Damien Edwards. Damien's ghost appears to Bruno. Bruno tells Cyrus that he believes Angelique made Damien's spirit appear. Trask, the butler, tells Damien's ghost that Bruno was responsible for his murder. Angelique, determined to banish the ghost of Damien, begins a special ceremony. Um, Wait, I'm gonna, where does Damien gonna... come from? Where does Damien yeah, come from? I am. I got totally lost. I don't know this Damien thing. I need someone to help explain what yeah, is this Yeah, I don't know Damien where he came from either. From. Well, so central casting. Of... Central casting. Well, I kind of figured that, but I mean, he, yeah. he just pops up. He's just random, right? He's a he's I a former know. lover, I think, of uh, of Angelique's. Oh, I, as yeah, far as I, I remember, that. yeah, and it looks like Bruno killed him, and that well, was the whole secret well, that Trask was. Which means that uh, well, Bruno was one of the loves of uh, one of Angelique's. She had a whole line of them down there down the street. And well, yeah. uh, I mean, I think Angelique had more men in there than the Trojan horse, from what I can. No take. kidding! It's just like, boy, oh the, one, the woman's a one-woman <laughs> USO show at this point. Seriously, even, uh, even little Daniel has got this. Uh, you wonder? Oh, now what, I draw the line there. Wait, well, what are you saying? What if Daniel didn't draw the line there? I mean, you know, there's... I'm from Kentucky, so this could mean <laughs> a lot. Keep I'm going. from Brooklyn. It'd so be worse keeps, if it was Arkansas. This means even more. Oh, yeah. I would a, just say that that Daniel came out of there and he yearns to go back home. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> there's a scene where she's uh, comforting uh, Daniel as uh, as Alexis, and uh, it's it's blue light and it's on Daniel's bed. And if you don't look, and if you if you don't look carefully enough, it almost looks as if her as if her leg is across Daniel's leg. And uh, I think they kind of change it. Uh, the, for the next minute, so that it looks more, um, so it looks more proper. But one kind of, but uh, and, and and of course they never they never meant to establish that kind of that kind of nonsense. Oh God, but it's I would very, think so. 
But it, it, again, this is another repeat of the David Laura thing. Right, uh, right. And, and it is, and, it, and of course, Hennessy is so good at doing this by now. Mother, mother, you know, I yeah. mean, but it's, but it's, where is there anything original in this? And, uh, you know, and that's supposedly a big piece of, that's supposedly a big piece of this block. Uh, and, uh, and it's supposed to be a lynching pin because all the other characters are not sure. Quentin can't believe she's alive. Um, Sabrina is uh, somehow enchanted, but otherwise you don't know what the hell is going on. Um, every and everybody else. Who the hell's Damien? <laughs> Who the hell's Damien? Where did he come from? <laughs> Damien is another lover. Damien, that's right. I, know, yeah, I was going to say it could have been Bruno. In another world, it could have been, been Bruno's anyone. lover, and he offed him. You know, that's what it looked like to me for a while. Well, because like, basically, what Bruno like, and Damien? Damien well, yeah, together. Just, wouldn't have bothered me at all. I mean, it would have made things yeah. interesting, that's for sure. Well, I mean, the problem basically is David comes in as a ghost. Oh, he's come back. And then it's like, oh, he's come back. Oh, he can't be back. He's dead. He's come back. It's like, well, who's Damien? And they're like, and by the time that they tell you, it's like, I don't care anymore. It's just like, and then he's gone. <laughs> it's just like, well, where did this come from? Like, is it, it? It's almost like it's like this. You know, look what we filmed earlier. But oh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what. Maybe we should just slice it in here somewhere. Maybe or it just didn't feel coherent with what was going on. It's kind of like, and then and then you find it out. It's like, well, that was a big hoo-ha about not because since that since by the time Damien's character is gone, we now found out that Angelique pretty much, you know, basically. Had her wrapping arms and legs around everyone in Collinsport anyway. So what would Damien make its difference to anyway? You know, Bruno's had a way with her. Looks like you know, um, you know, John Carlin's character. You know, looks like you, there's something you going get assigned. Quentin, you get assigned a number at the DMV. Yeah, you know, it's just part of living there. It's it's like it's on your it's on your tax tax return. Yeah. And it's, number two zero zero six two. Okay, uh, I'm up. Uh, I'll be back in about five minutes. Yeah. Oh, she, oh she, she's looking great, about three. Um, in the meantime, so, uh, while you're waiting, you can hear Ota Angelique and the music, uh, you know, while you're waiting. Sure. You're taken. Oh, that was, that was another awful. I'm sure we've discussed on I and actually on and like on. all the big hits of Dark Shadows, right? From the Blue Whale and the episode. They did, they episode, did. All the way to Quentin's theme, Maggie's theme, um, you know, Angelique's theme. You know, the, the composer really is quite good because it really kind of stay with you. They do. Sure. Well, that's sure. But you sure, sure, them, they stay it. with you. Sure, sure that's so, true. There's a melancholy feel through all, all the music comes through Dark Shadows. Well, it's not happy melancholy. music. It's all sad music. There's nothing really upbeat and happy about it. And all her Starcrest lovers are playing it, you know. I have amazing. lyrics to Joanna if you ever want them. <laughs> Joanna, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a song oh, that's coming up. That's eighteen yeah. forties. Oh, okay. So there's more lyric. I don't remember. I was too young. Uh, well, so. I wrote the lyrics. I had to write the lyrics, but I think they're 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 magnificent. Maybe what do we'll you think about the Rose Cottage? No, 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 no. I just had to make something up that scanned. And the begin. I'll just say the beginning of it is. I'm wearing pants. They're made of lycra, and they cling to me in oh so many ways. 
<laughs> They're just pants you see, but pants for me to wear for all my days. <laughs> and then there's a whole thing about later hosen. Uh, <laughs> that's wonderful. When I think of all the leather later hosen that people wear in far off Germany, I know they look, I think they are supposing that we all think that we are firm of knee. And then it just repeats itself. I think it's funny because every time I see how they they I, the, the dress back then, I vaguely remember the dress. I remember was it Ferris too was on the radio all the time back then, and I, I just think it just cracks me up watching the clothing and stuff because I remember people wearing the plaid and the bell bottoms coming into the early seventies, and and then I see that Laughing is on right after Dark Shadows, so I put that on. That's where all I mean. It's all it's just kind of funny to watch them side by side sometimes so well, oh, yeah. i do kind of wish that i do kind of wish that um alexander moki was back because i could i just have this I feeling where basically i just have this feeling where nancy barrett and, and alexander moki are sitting in a room together and they're going you know smoking a joint and they go Something. what do you want to do next I, I don't know what we can do let's sit back and let's iron each other's hair man <laughs> just imagine <laughs> They did. Hey, we used to do that. Be buffing until the '80s, so they didn't have straighteners back then. Sure, sure. Um, just imagine what this—if you were really doing a parallel time thing—imagine this, where instead of Maggie, it's Angelique that Quentin has married, and instead of Angelique as his prior wife, it's Vicky. That would be interesting. Yeah, really and then it's her sister Veronica who shows up. You yeah. know, that's sister a Veronica. that that would have been a cool piece of stunt casting. Yeah, oh, I would. I would actually. Sight. I think I would actually. See, I actually would have preferred uh, Maggie to be the Angelique character, and, and I think that'd be great too. Because but I wonder. I mean, you just never see Maggie acting evil hardly ever. At well, that's all. that's. But that's what would have been great about it. That would have been great. Instead of like well, Maggie the victim, we got Maggie the bitch. You know? Yeah, and I would have done that too. She yeah. does tell Joe that he needs a restaurant that serves baby food. Don't forget <laughs> that. That's I don't the remember shade. That. I don't remember. Oh, that's in the Adam storyline. Well, Quentin I mean, is a real SOB in this timeline, by the way. Yeah, he oh, yeah. is. He's a misogynist pig, but I still love him. Yeah, but I do think that, I, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how this, um, Rebecca storyline is going to edge out because we don't finish that the storyline here. So right, but I I thought because as we were um, as it, we were talking about earlier that if you look at the film Rebecca or read the book Rebecca Maximilian, yeah we did where Maximilian's character basically comes across as quite a hard edged character, but then we find out later that he never actually loved Rebecca basically right. Rebecca haunted him and he hated her so much that he thought right. that he caused her death. And because he thought he caused her death, that basically the new, um, the new wife basically was kind of getting the brunt of it, even though that he was more in love but, with the new well, wife Quentin, than he was with her. So. Well, Quentin didn't really give chance for the body to even get cold. Six months. Who wants to marry a man after six months after his wife dies, a widower? I mean, that's just like having too many people in the relationship. I- I don't yeah. want to marry a man at all, but you know, well, I, I guess I mean, I'm open you know, to it. Each his own. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, I'm willing to I, learn. 
I mean, the thing well, is, is we don't we don't really know where this courtship came from, as far as this courtship and Maggie's concerned. Anyway, no, there's I mean, no backstory yet again. Was he, so, I mean, right. what did he find her? Did he the did first he leave Collinswood, or did he find her at the the Blue Whale? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's kind of like seems like everybody different. meets at the Blue Whale. Wait, wait, it's not called the Blue Whale. It's the eagle. It's the eagle. Yeah, the eagle. Eagle. The eagle, which is on the ocean, which doesn't make much. I mean, better if they just call it the seagull, maybe. I don't the, know. The but. osprey, the pelican, something. <laughs> pelican, yeah, precisely. But in the first seance, Quentin, Quentin was supposedly seen choking Angelique. So I don't see why he wouldn't want to get married to him. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, what's the deal like with that. that dream, though? I'm kind of confused. Okay, why is Maggie having the dream about... Well, Angelique's gaslighting right. Maggie anyway. So I mean, right. so these dreams that Maggie's having, I mean, you she's know, not a this, witch, but she's capable of projecting that shit out there. Well, she's a you know she's a emotional or psychic incubus or what do you called it before. I mean, succubus, whatever. More yeah. Along, yeah, more along those. Well, lines the succubus anyway. is what Angelique is. Right. The incubus yeah. is the male equivalent of the succubus. Uh, that would be Bruno. So, so she's a, so she's a succubus. So the thing is, as far as you know, I'm that, you know, you know and, I'm not quite that, sure what powers the succubus has anyway. But mm-hmm. the, what we're what we're seeing Maggie experience doesn't necessarily mean that is the truth of the reality of what really went on either. Right, right. Because he's gas, she's gaslighting Maggie at the moment. So it's really kind of hard to figure yeah. out. I mean, did did Quentin, you know, well, she got all Frango those letters. Angelique? We don't know. And then. Quentin's yelling at her for finding the letters, Paul, that she had a dream about the letters that they were in the small drawer. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, what's he doing going through Quentin's things anyway? I probably would have been a bit annoyed. Well, you know, women, we fluff. You know, if you get a chance, mm-hmm. you fluff. Yeah, but then again, if I got something in a locked box and you got it out of that locked box, I'm, you know, I'm going to be like, no, I would yeah. never do something like it's, that. It's, it's not, it's not, it's not like he just went to the cupboard and out, you know, okay. I've got like, it, okay. So. Call it human nature. How many people peer behind other people's shower curtains when you're taking a leak at somebody else's bathroom? Everybody does it. Everybody. I peeps. don't know. I don't. I go through their medicine cabinet. But I <laughs> oh, yeah. I knew you went through something. <laughs> Hang on. Let, me, yeah. let me get this straight. You're asking me if I, if I peer through through the shower curtain so when someone's kind of taking a leak. In there. I'm not in the pee. shower. I'm not in the shower when they're taking a leak. No, I'm saying people are nosy. Maybe when they're they taking a leak in the shower. In bathrooms, and that's basically what she got caught doing. I, I don't mean, take a leak in the shower. I take a shallot. A shallot. <laughs> it's onion it's humor. I mean, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be completely honest. If I go to someone's house and I have to use their bathroom, I do kind of open up the medicine cabinet and look at it and shut the door. And I always see if there's anything in there good. You can tell a lot. You can tell a lot about what's behind. What's Especially all their cabinet. psychotropic drugs. Yeah. <laughs> you can find out. Well, you can tell if they're a hypochondriac. You can tell if they're not a hypochondriac. You can tell, you can tell <laughs> okay. So, so I have a question. Okay, somebody name a Dark Shadows character, and I want to know what the weirdest thing in their medicine cabinet is. Uh, Roger Collins. Roger Collins. <laughs> Viagra. How about David? <laughs> he is Viagra. 
about Julia, all those sedatives? I know. She's just a walking pharmacy. Let me give you a sedative. Almost every episode, she's trying to drug somebody with a sedative. Let me get you a sedative. Or Liz is then, trying to drug somebody oh, with a sedative. Uh, Elizabeth has just been talking about Xanax. She just has a whole medicine cabinet full of Xanax. <laughs> no shit, man. Liz is always yeah. so chill. You know Liz be hitting mamas with a helper all the time. Yeah. And David probably just had Flintstone multivitamins. <laughs> Flintstone multivitamins. They still sell those, you know. Asher yeah. takes them. He's getting much too, much too, uh, what is it? He's getting, he doesn't like any of that shit anymore. He's really getting, what's the word? When you're getting older and too cool for certain things. Sure. Uh, so- he's, he's got to age. He's got to get the quest for fire ones. Yeah. The quest yeah. for fire multivitamins. Fire. That's what the older kids get. <laughs> Yeah, or Clan of the Cave Bear. I thought you'd be looking for the quest for fire. <laughs> Vitamins. Yeah, and it's so still, that brings it's still... up all, You know what? Every time I think of that movie, it brings up all kinds of, you know, scenic beach themes to me or something. <laughs> quest Dog for Rock. fire? <laughs> well, every time you bend over in, in that movie, Quest for Fire, someone is right on your backside. Really. Somebody's right there. <laughs> it's, it's tough to be right on Chong. I'm, I'm amazed she didn't do another movie. And, uh, Good Lord! Yeah. Movies that movies that cry for a sequel. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> or a reboot. Quest, well, it's Quest for Fire Extinguisher. There you go. There you go. And getting back to scene four, I just wanted to also say that uh, Bruno, that the lines they gave Bruno remind me of Aristide too much. I mean, Bruno runs to. Uh, He's the uh, same character. He's just a literally, literally universe, he, basically. He, he begs the uh, same character, just a hell of a lot more hair. <laughs> not more hair, lots and lots of hair. You gotta help me. It's my man. You gotta, you gotta take me into. You know, I can't. You know, I mean, I, I, I can't let like Damien get me. It, it's it's it, it's incredible. He's, he's just like Aristide with Petafi again. So what difference yeah. is that? This is a really makeover of eighteen ninety seven with a number of characters, which he just switched over no, to, uh, to a parallel he, time. I think it's that i think the characters are more unique than that in this i don't think they're exactly the same Tom. well i kind i kind of with bruno's character though i mean in but all with honesty, bruno's character tom's right yeah i mean what, no, what i, I kind of want to see with bruno's character is to have him dressed like a, a you know those crash test dummies and just see this, <laughs> what, what would happen to his hair if he hit a brick wall see if it actually protected his head <laughs> Well, I mean, he's got, oh, I mean, hair. he brushes it back and they didn't have blow dryers. Did they had blow dryers back then? Yeah. I don't know. Were they just coming out? <laughs> sure they did. But they had those big things at the beauty salon. Oh, that's you know, right. And those the, things. You the tabletop models yeah. with the bags. I mean, oh, I don't know if he hose, had, yeah. yeah, I don't know if he had one of those portable hair dryers, but I know that in every episode he was windswept. <laughs> so, so, he was definitely windswept. He's been on the Oklahoma Plains for quite some time. Yes. I think this brings us to scene five now, which Barnabas is stuck on repeat, we yep. call this. 
David and Amy find Darwinus's portrait. In the parallel time room, Quentin sees Elizabeth and Julia discussing Barnabas' disappearance. Will Loomis releases Barnabas from his coffin, guarding him carefully. Quentin meets Barnabas. They later see Julia in the parallel time room. Daniel recognizes Barnabas, who tries to make the boy forget they met. In a race, Quentin slashes Maggie's portrait and recalls his dream of the hanging man. Barnabas escapes, goes to Maggie's bedroom, and bears his fangs again in preparation to attack he her. Bites Buffy. And then Barnabas bites Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So, yep. um, Buffy! <laughs> Who plays Buffy? Elizabeth Eyes. Okay. And uh, she played... The, it's an interesting story about her, by the way. Um, Proceed. Uh, okay. Well, and Chris Pennock uh, told this uh, when we interviewed him. And he felt very, very bad about it. So the, you know, so those sword knives that they gave the John, the John Yeager character, you right. know, pulled the sword out and there's a knife. Well, they made two types of knives. One was a prop and one was a real one. And uh, oh, maybe because yeah. at that time, you know, there, there may have been some scenes where you had to actually cut some, cut some stuff and you need a real knife for it. Well, Penna grabbed the wrong knife one day. And he is supposed to hold uh, Elizabeth Eyes, Buffy, by the throat and uh, take the knife and also slowly inch it towards her neck. That was the real knife. He accidentally, it was just a little cut, but she, they, they, they shut the scene. She went crazy. He never heard, he, he likes, he liked May, rest in peace, talk about salty language. Said, you never heard such salty language coming out of Elizabeth Eyes in her life. <laughs> and uh, he tried to apologize. And you almost killed me with that fucking thing. What are you doing? I'm really Tom, sorry. Tom, how's the really? medication coming? <laughs> yeah, I'll <right. laughs> have it in, Tom. It does, it does tend to, uh, <laughs> it does tend to augment here. things. For those fans that uh, were not aware, I'm currently under medical treatment for, uh, for, for two fractured toes. Isn't that wonderful? You should never have that in your life. I so, stub my uh, toes all the time, but they don't give me drugs for it. Oh, well, they oh, you for the I need your doctor. I've doctors. broken my own more than once. For the it's hard. Because I, I have to walk on these things, and uh, also get a lot, also get a lot of rest. But there's really nothing you can do except tape them and uh, yeah. pray. Yeah. And uh, so you know, so for six, so six, yeah, eight so, weeks. So the, that yes, it very well could be four weeks per each. So it very well could be uh, that is. Uh, that uh, that is uh, influence. I have to ask, what did you do to your toes? I had a fall. I had oh, a fall. okay, okay. And, Damn, uh, Tom. With Take care we'll, of yourself. <laughs> and with that, we'll uh, and, and with that and with, with that. You know, I'm just nosy. Of course you are. And with that, well, well, I certainly, well, I certainly didn't do a dancing with Fred with Ginger Rogers. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was. Uh, it was quite a painful well, experience. She, is this the first time we see a portrait of Maggie? What's that? Oh, that portrait's got awful. Isn't oh my it? god. Who in the props department did Catherine Lee Scott make furious? I don't oh, know, but it's, I just was wondering if you guys thought it sucked as bad as I did. Oh, it's yeah. terrible. Oh, yeah. I um I mean 
I really, I mean, I like the Barnabas character, but every time I see him in a coffin coming out of a coffin, it's like, oh, here we go again. I just feel like with the chains. Don't forget the chains. Yeah, but there just seems to be a repeat of this, and then he goes to bite Maggie, and it's like, oh my god, are we gonna go back to Josette time again? Because I mean, he's like the Josette stalker of all time now. Wash, rinse, repeat. Yeah. And next time you look at the coffins on, uh, if you ever, if you ever have enough time or no time. Uh, you look at each coffin is a different color. It starts yeah. out as gold, and then the next thing you know, it's blue and old, and it's right. got scratches all over it. Right. And the next thing, time, it's brown and old. It's got yeah, scratches. Yeah, I did notice that. It. And then it's gold again. And so they must be playing musical coffins with. I'm just trying to figure out where they bought their coffins because I've been to my half Italian, so I've been to my share of funerals at open caskets. But I have never seen a casket that just lays you top like that. I mean, you kind of go in a little bit to get cozy. I, 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 I think he was shopping at Harold and Maud's for the coffin <laughs> sort of thing. So. But, I would have loved to have seen a parallel time segment where Michael Stroka, who really did look enough like Frid, could have been Barnabas. He could have. He really could have. And I so he could have been the Barnabas in the parallel time, meeting Frid from our time. I mean, the thing is, though, Barnabas probably would, I mean, if it's parallel time, Barnabas probably would have died in an old man or a young man. They would have had to change that. They would have had to change that whole Will Loomis thing. He wasn't, when he came, okay, did he turn back into a vampire when he went into the parallel time? He was human. No, he he was still fighting the whole band. Okay, that's right. Julia was giving him injections. Okay, that's right. It wasn't working. Okay, it wasn't working. Okay, I, mean, I mean, the question that this does vary for me when it comes to Barnabas and his, his time traveling and stuff like this, that I think that these people probably would have been fine and happy and their lives probably would have gone on probably quite carelessly well. But every time Barnabas enters someone's storyline, it kind of like the whole guy's kind of askew. I mean, well, he is like he got, the Prince of Darkness, isn't he? Well, no, he's kind of this person. You know, that kind of person that's always trying to help, and no matter what they try to do to makes help it you, worse. Th- makes it worse. Yeah, and yeah. That's, that's, I, I kind of get this feeling about Barnabas. Now that we've seen him travel enough times now, <laughs> sometimes I kind of want to like, it's almost like you know, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to become part of their time. And you're kind of like, no, Barnabas, no, they're actually quite happy right now. <laughs> Yeah, go away, Barnabas. Like, oh, shit, (laughs) Barnabas is showing up in our timeline again. Like, get rid of him. Oh, no. He's like, I used to love my mother. Now now since she's appeared, I can't stand her. What happened? (laughs) (laughs) That's true. He is the harbinger of doom. He is. Yeah. By the way, he's... We see and Bob the more he meddles, the, the worse the worse it becomes. I know, poor Angelique, she's all happy, but then again, her husband was... Kind of a douche canoe. He was covert. He was in league with, you know, the bad guys. But even she looked really happy. Then here enters Barnabas and she's happily married finally. And that all went to hell. Sky Rumson. Well, yeah. I, mean, eight, I mean, the 1800s, I mean, basically, it's like, I mean, he kind of, he made that even worse than what it, what, what it was anyway. By the time he got done, I mean, no one knew where they were coming and going. Right now, now he's starting to cement himself more into these people's storylines here in this parallel time, and he's not fixing anything. He's kind of just making it worse. Right, <laughs> he's right. Not, like, you know, he's like the noisy, nosy neighbors. Like, just stay out of my business. I'll be fine. <laughs> it's like, please. That's what usually noise I'm doing. That's yeah. for sure. 
Oh, and what's, what's with the hanging man? Before I forget, I keep meaning to ask about the hanging man. I know that means uh, something. Who's the hanging man? Is it Quentin? Are you talking about the uh, Tower of Destruction kind of thing? No, I don't no, think it's the Tower Maggie's of Destruction. Maggie's portrait. Um, um, basically, Quentin slashes Maggie's portrait and recalls his dream of the hanging man. Oh. What are and we? He sees the hanging man. Yeah, I don't know that one yet. We'll get to. Uh, maybe it'll clear up in the next block. Well, I hope yeah. so. Inquiring <laughs> minds want to know. I'm going to say, speaking of inquiring minds, uh, Ken McMillan plays one appearance as the bartender in the uh, in this block. But before that, um, Bob McConnell, who had been the bartender extra all along, portrayed his last appearance on Dark Shadows in the preceding block. So uh, we saw that we want to say thanks to Bob McConnell, and nobody else would probably have remembered that. But uh, that's his last appearance in the last block. And now they're going to have to look for other bartenders. And uh, Bob McConnell, and uh, this guy isn't, Ken McMillan, he went on to a lot of stuff in TV and radio and uh, so forth and uh, movies. Doesn't he play Baron Conan? I believe so. Yeah. Who was it? What did he play? Uh, Baron Conan, the, the heartthrob in the original Doom. Yep. Sting? Mm-mm. No, no, no. His uncle. The, that the big guy? fat man. Yeah. 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 I would yeah. say he's not a heartthrob. That's for you. You lost well, me. He, he, was for, he was for certain fetishists. Well, I, there, Vicky, I know that there's a market. Vicky, for that, that, Vicky that was called sarcasm. <laughs> What's that? What's I, that? That was called that was called sarcasm. I was making uh, the ha Well, no, I was sitting there trying to think of who was hot in the first Dune. There's like two guys at my pass, and the new one we got Mike uh, Momoa, and you know the uh, yeah, Josh Brolin. I mean, like, all the I can't all wait for the second Dune because the first one was boring. I said it. Well, then why are you waiting for the next one? I mean, I there's no guarantee it's going to be. It never gets better than they're the going to make day. it. No, no, because they had to set it all up. I really like. I'm really a fan of the old Doom. Now I really loved it. I am too. It's a favorite movie of mine. I loved the books. I did, but I do. Books. I do think that we are now in a thingy where they're going to actually divide things up by multiple parts. Wicked, the musical, going to be released in two parts. No, really? Yes. Yeah. A musical. One, a year, a year later. Why in two, two parts, though? Who knows? If they didn't need to do that with Into the Woods, I thought you were which is the, the only family. musical I can think of that's made for that kind of treatment, you don't need to do it. You know what? They already split Wicked into two parts. The first is called Wizard of Oz. That's yeah. true. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and, uh, that is. I, I mean, hate modern life. I mean, if if they were if they were going to like film the book of Wicked. And the book is so much, it's a, a superior book. I highly recommend reading it. I can understand breaking that up because there's a, that's a very it's a book. written book. And it's, it's not so much big, but there's, it's, it's big for me because all, it, it's, got, it. it's too compartmentalized and stuff. And I have yeah. to actually think and remember. But you also have to deal with all the politics that are going on and so on and so forth. But the music. But it is kind of political with, with the way everything turned out after the fact when everything else is all said and done. Yeah. It's a book about the politics of Oz, really. Yeah. So, um. So, 
saying that, why don't we okay. get to best storyline and worst storyline? And we'll start off with you, Tom. What's your best storyline and your worst storyline of this block? Um, the worst storyline, as far as I'm concerned, is simply redoing the soap opera elements uh, from some of the first year and putting them into parallel and putting them into parallel time. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, David with Laura, approximately approximating Daniel and. Angelique, um, the uh, the it, it, Hoffman. Uh, I, I don't know if Grayson overacts, but she just gauches over over the Angelique character so much. I mean, you think you she mean was, the gushing over the, her dead yeah. mistress coming back? Yeah, well, that's think, Rebecca stuff for you, though. Yeah, almost, but the Rebecca, Rebecca were lesbian, lesbian undertones, wasn't it? I was it? just it thinking. Just kind of she has a crush on her. She's crushing on her, definitely. There's no doubt in my mind. Yeah, but there, but there's no... I mean, everybody loves Angelique. Nobody really... You know, I mean, Quentin is really the only one. Uh, and for some reason, because of the way they've been introduced... I feel Quentin, sorry for Maggie. She has to feel so inadequate as a woman. <laughs> oh, this is ridiculous. There's no doubt. <laughs> But she ran off finally. She couldn't take it anymore. And, I don't and, blame and her. There's them. portraits of a dead woman and everybody loves yeah. her. And treating her like this insignificant piece of old shoe leather. And know? incidentally, you'll hear Quentin talking to the sister Jennifer on the phone. Now, I don't know. Uh, I'm sure that uh, Pat knows about this. But that role originally was to go to Marie Wallace. Right, uh, who I was heard supposed, that. Who was supposed to come back, and uh, she Marie didn't come back though did, because she got a, a part on Another World, and that's uh, right. She, that's she, right. Oh my and God. she said, "As gee, as soon as they stake me on one show, I'm here. I am in another one." You know, I remember Louis Edmonds played on All My Children. I loved him in All My Children. But he obviously were, was able to wait until Shadows was finished. Yeah, he, he did. He didn't back. get in there until like mid seventies, I think. But I absolutely, cannot recall absolutely. his character, but I, I, his name of character, but he was the rich guy, the, the other, the opposing rival. Langley. I think that Langley. What, Langley. Yeah. I think that what they could have done, the worst storyline, is really make it a better, really better storyline. <laughs> I love Opal. Instead of borrowing from too many things. And, and, the, and the Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, well, you know, I mean, we'll have to see what, you know, Jaeger is certainly to be seen in terms of the performance that uh, Chris Pennock gives him. Right, right. Uh, but I don't think he's any John Barrymore, I'll tell you that You much. know what? But I don't think his performance sucks, considering it was a live show and they have to keep throwing clothing and makeup right. on and off it. Right. And he really, I think he pulled it off. Like he we said, you can't tell the difference. You can tell, like, if you're not looking – that they're two different characters. And I agree off, with yeah. that. I think he did a bang-up job on that. Irregardless of the storyline, it didn't really make me happy. Except that uh, Buffy wanted to kick his ass for him almost killing her. Well, Buffy knife. likes rough sex. We yeah, already established that. <laughs> <laughs> Best storyline. I think that's to come. And what I like about the idea of the parallel time characters, meaning the actual time characters, I thought that was probably a saving grace and something to look forward to. I did like uh, the idea of uh, 
of uh, Elizabeth and Julia discussing Barnabas's disappearance and Quentin seeing that. And uh, is that when Quentin walked into the room and he saw the, the time room from? That's right. He saw our, our time, not the other our time, time room. He our saw time our room. time room, and he okay. saw the and he saw our Elizabeth and Doctor Julia Hoffman discussing Barnabas's disappearance, and so Quentin had no idea that Julia was a doctor at all in that you know in that room, and in the meantime, finally Barnabas uh, is uh, released from his House of Dark Shadows stuff, so. He uh, will releases him from the coffin. He's back in black, and he's back in black. And now it's the Barnabas Angelique show. Yep, and, it certainly uh, is. And and that brings on an extra dimension to it, which, uh, quite frankly, I mean, as lovely as Laura Parker is, and I don't think you think you see any, you see any blocks of shadows where her beauty doesn't shine more. I mean, it's incredible. The, uh, the job they did with her um, as uh, Alexis and she got the chance to play a good gal. Although nobody really believed it until the end. Um, and when I do want to also say that on YouTube, I don't know if you caught it, Pat, but on YouTube, there is a very rare rehearsal scene. Oh yeah. Of, yes. With Angelique with where, yeah, 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 yeah. Where you hear a real accent. Yeah, what right. accent? I'm lost. She has accent. a Knoxville accent. She's oh, a Knoxville. She well, yeah, she would, wouldn't yeah. she? Yeah, I remember when we were interviewing her. She's got the Tennessee accent, and she's and she's in curlers and uh, nightgown, and it's on the cemetery set. And who is she? Who is she uh, yakking with? Layla Smith. Uh, I'm trying to. Layla, Layla or Smith. Henry, one of them. Layla Smith I still put or on Henry those Kaplan. I put on headphones yeah, and I'm still trying to make out stuff they're saying in the background. I'll be danged if I can I can hear everything. Well, she's, well, she's pissed off oh, about Henry this. Cap. What was that? You asked I, me once upon I, a time to listen on headphones to see what I could hear on certain episodes. And mm-hmm. you can hear the sputtering in the back, but I cannot make it out without like a audacity. Really, you, it, it, you have to have very, very sophisticated equipment. But they're but they're joining at each other because Lara does not Laura does not like the way the scene is being played, and uh, there she is sitting on a <laughs> she she's sitting on a coffin with her with her curls and, uh, and yeah and I, and I think I, it's the pace of the she's upset about the pace of the cue cards I think is that it is I that think it? that was one of the one of the things that she's upset Where, about is it too slow or is it too not it's fast too slow enough? too slow. Yeah, I can see yeah, where that yeah. would annoy her, probably. Because she's really on target. You know, the one thing I do enjoy about, well, I'll, I'll wait until it's my turn. So what's uh, that? Patrick, what's your uh, best storyline and worst storyline of this block? Uh, well, you know, anything having to do with uh, um, uh, John Yeager, I'm fascinated by. And I, and I, I think maybe there is... Uh, it's not that John Yeager is too much for the rest of the world. I think there's not enough rest of the world for John Yeager. That's a good and, way to put it. Uh, yeah, I just I really think he's this he's this wonderful colossal id who experiences often pure joy, and it's the pure joy of utter immorality, and that's a very complicated thing to navigate. So I'm I'm big on that. Uh, on the other side. Uh, I um, I have an incredibly difficult time watching uh, the character of Quentin in this 
uh, and trying to feel any kind of sympathy for him um, because he is such a bully. I understand. And I agree with you. I agree with yeah. you. We have been ra- we have been raised on the 1897 Quentin, who at first was a ne'er do well, but really didn't have any responsibility or care not to tear the, to care to take responsibility for what was happening. He really wasn't a mean, but he really wasn't a mean person. He was a scallywag, but he really wasn't a sure. mean person, and he really wasn't a dictator, and he really wasn't a bully and stuff he like that. He was a happy-go-lucky drunk playboy kind of, and a and a great uncle. You and see him the, through yeah, the eyes of, his, of Jameson. He loved the kids. He loved the and, kids. And then yeah. the werewolf. And then the werewolf thing. And then he becomes, you know, the Don Briscoe thing transfers into him, and he's the. Uh, and Barnabas feels terrible for him, and and now he's another one of those. Uh, you know, I can't help what I'm doing. Uh, you know, I mean, what can I do, and how can I make things up to people after I've met them in the dawn and see their faces chewed up? And um, and 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 here, he's. I will say one thing. I he gets along very well with. David obviously David loves him. Uh, Daniel, right. Daniel loves him, and and um, uh, and Amy, and Amy, and he really acts like a good parent with them when he needs to. He's Uncle Amy, uh, he's Uncle Quentin, but he's a very good parent with them. He's a very good, um, you know, they respect him. Uh, they 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 communicate with him. They make sense uh, with him. This is something he wasn't able to do with Jameson because Jameson, in the end, never trusted him. Right. And uh, but here he's 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 a ward cleaver, and I guess that's a byproduct of the fact that he's master of the house. All I surveyed, you do what I say. Not you know. Well, you don't get a I chance do. to see him be master of the house usually. So. Well, you you do here. Yeah. You do in the parallel time. In parallel time, he is master of the house. And he and Selby plays it to the, you know, plays it to the ninth. I mean, you know, he uh, he lets people, he's boss. Poor he, Roger. He's always let down no matter what what era it is. He never Roger's gets weak here. the house hardly. <laughs> Roger's he's got those great scarf here. rings. He's got those great scarf rings, though. Can't just uh, yeah, that. he's dressed pretty snazzy. I'll give you that. But I, I, I do hand it to Quentin. You know, he's he's a he's a bully here. You can't get to you can't get to really like the character for what he the way he pushes Maggie around and pushes everybody else around. But yeah, he, but I agree that that secondary thing to him with the kids that that's interesting. And one wonders where that's going to go. Gotcha. And Vicki, what's your best storyline and worst storyline? Well, best storyline. I like the Angelique storyline. Where I do like the Rebecca storyline because I love the novels and all that stuff, too. But I really like that she's she's always been surrounded by all the other beautiful women of Dark Shadows. And this is like her time to shine. And I really am enjoying watching her, her do so. And so... Uh, I'm I'm just enjoying it. I want to see where I can't wait to see where it goes. Like I said, I can't remember any of this, so it's all new to me. And God, I, I hate to say I hate the Doctor Jekyll stuff. I kind of do, and it's it's just not it's not Penix. He's he's actually pulling it off extremely well. I'm just trying to figure out why he used this for filler when he could have done other things. I guess 
because it was already because Dr. Jekyll's already overdone at that point. You had all the Hammer movies coming out before this, and you had the horror movies. Everybody saw, you know, Murders at the Brute Morgue, that kind of stuff, I guess, maybe. And you just, I don't know. I, I would have loved to have seen a different borrow, maybe, from another novel, I guess. They had done most of the big ones, I think. This yeah, was... well, not Frank. Oh, they did do Frankenstein. What yeah, I they thinking? did Frankenstein. There's nothing left. What's left? Yeah, this is one uh, of the majors. If you look at the big, the, the big monsters that they had access to, they don't have access to Creature from the Black Lagoon. No, they um, can't. But they, although but they did do Grayson they, occasionally. Well, they did do Lovecraft kind of sort of, you know. Well, they did. They did, but you know, the, the Crawling Chaos is not a good guest star. Yeah, true. You can't. You can't send them to the Tonight Show. I was just waiting for the sacrifice of the virgin birth and the conception and all that good stuff. So. Yeah, they were. They were going to get a virgin birth with with Carolyn. <laughs> <laughs> Newsflash. But now that was really it. I don't know why. I guess I just I was kind of expecting something else. And it's not that the acting is bad. It's not at all. It's just the storyline, and that's where I'm sticking to right now. My worst storyline has to be the Damien Edwards thing. I don't know. I just feel like, <laughs> probably because you don't know where, don't know where he from. fits in in the storyline. Whose storyline yeah. does he fit into? So, so I found that problematic. And as far as best, I really don't have a best because. I kind of look at this block and I kind of shake my head a little bit because there are so many great things they could have done. But yes. for some reason, there, you know, we got the tumor idea that's going on with the answer yes. storyline. We got, um, you know, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, Robert Louis Stevenson. We have Dumornier's um, Rebecca. And none of, them are, none of them are fully realized. They could have done something fantastic with it, but they're kind of like hit upon. It's kind of like watching a greatest hits without the context with, behind it. And, um, and though everyone's really, really fine, I just kind of wish that at this point that they had more faith in their newcomers. Because if, if you look at this, these are not, these are all the newcomers that have come on the show over the last couple of months. Right, right. And they could, they could have done something really interesting. Like as we discussed, Maggie could have been the Angelique character and Angelique could have been the Maggie character. That would have been we cool. Have got, that would have been really cool. You know, you know, and uh, you know, as far as the Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, I mean, it's 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 okay. I mean, but they could have gone, they got, they got, they went pretty far for a daytime soap opera. I have to take my hats off for that. But at the same time, you know, they might have wanted to spend a little bit more time on it. The thing is, they were kind of hitting on it, and then we're, and then they then they disappear. Like Rebecca, they hit on it, then there's other stuff happens, and now that's we're true. They don't ever finish. It. They don't finish. They they don't. I mean, they start out, they get you interested, and then it's gone. So, yeah, I mean, we'll wait. We'll wait and see where we are. We'll wait and see where, where we, we go up. by the by the end of this. But yeah, it would just been nicer if they, you know, just had more of a realization of where they were going. Sort of yeah, thing. I can. I'm, I'm down with that. Now we get to our worst. Least and favorite character, starting with you, Vic. Who's your favorite character and who's your least favorite character? My least favorite character. I hate picking on him all the time. It was probably Bruno. <laughs> Actually, no, I'm going to scratch that. It's uh, the ghost that we don't know where he fits into this. Edwards. Damien. Damien. He does not. Fit. I mean, I, he's a great ghost, but I don't know where we're going with Damien. I just know that I think that uh, Bruno killed him. 
So I guess maybe we'll then answer. One. I hope. Yeah, and, and Damien comes back to Warren Quentin. He does about, what? He comes back to Warren Quentin. About oh, Quentin. well, that's true. I guess I, I don't know. I just they didn't do enough of it with me. And my favorite, my favorite character. God, they were so. I, I did have a lot of favorite characters, regardless of the storyline. Um, I I'm gonna have to go with. I don't know. I'm gonna go with a. Uh, actually, the uh, not David Selby, but um, God, Will Willie Will, yeah, Will Will, yeah, because. Well, he gets to do something different, but he's still kind of a sniveling little whatever. But I mean, and I hate when they do that to him in a long time because he's such an excellent actor. And I love how he's married to Carolyn, you know, and he's got control of the old house. But he's a little more spin with him why he's opening up the casket and still got the chains on it and everything. But I like watching his diversified character in this because he's just fun to watch. I've liked all of the things he was in, you know, even the, you know, TV sitcoms and series or whatever, anything that he's been on. Yeah, I mean, he's he's just a good actor, and it was nice to see him get a chance to kind of break away from usual Will to, you know, something a little different. He gets the beautiful girl in this one. And what about yourself, Patrick? Who's your favorite and least favorite character of this block? Um, John Yeager's my favorite. Uh. My least favorite, probably, uh, I don't know, Horace Gladstone, someone like that. I mean, was he even in this section? I just yeah, I think he was. I think Quentin, he was. Quentin, honestly, Quentin. Nothing against David Selby. Great, great actor. He did they make him look like a misogynist pig on purpose <laughs> in this episode, these episodes? Because yes. it's hard to watch. Because I after talking to him personally, he's such a nice guy. And he doesn't, you know, he just doesn't seem like that. But, I mean, it, David Selby definitely outdid himself. He could be a really bad guy and he could be a really good guy. He's really a great actor. I'll, I'll tell you, I, I asked a cast member once about this storyline. And I said, were you aware that the monster in the storyline really is Quentin? And and they said, yes. See, I wasn't aware yet. Yeah. <laughs> But I think that now I get to, that's good though, because now I know what to look for. Well, I'm kind of catching on to it right now because of Maggie's dream, so. And what about yourself, Tom? Who's your favorite and least favorite character of this block? It's tough to, uh, uh, it's hard for me to separate the fact that the plots were so repetitive from the characters who played them. And it's really Tom, not fair because I'm going to have to honestly say this is the first time I've ever known you not to be happy with a block of dark shadows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And thank you for keeping records. I am so, goes to show you, I can be fair. I am such a, I'm such a fan of the show. And I'm always looking uh, to find good, you know, to find good things about it. Um, while, you know, realizing that there are certain things like when they had 46 bloopers in one block and I, <laughs> it took me a million years uh, to do those bloopers for this show. I was not, I was not happy about that, but um, I would say that I am, if there's anything I am, ha- if there's anything I am happy about is the things I think are going to get better once Fritz comes back. And, uh, you know, he's going to put, he's going to put the Barnabas edge on the show. Uh, and he, and he does give this, 
uh, kind of pizzazz uh, to the rest of the show. And you really see for the first time what was life like without uh, the Barnabas character for a month. And, and frankly, yeah, I think we all did. Uh, I didn't miss the the coffins. They, they even had the coffins changing colors every day, maybe to wake people up. But uh, <laughs> I know what was with that. Now that I think of that, it was crazy. I couldn't believe it. I, I didn't. I didn't pick it up at first. I'm saying because the and first one that they had was coffin. a gold coffin. And I said to myself, "Well, they finally gave Fred what he was due. They gave him a gold coffin after all those little wooden, all those little wooden ones and stuff you see. Cheap ass caskets. Those were cheap." Uh, yeah, those, no, they gave him a nice goblin. And then after that, they like, got, got, got about old, you know, and old stuff. But I think that what's going to, um, actors, um, I, I, I think the worst, I think the worst actor actually was not the Buffy guy, but the George Sums, Sums guy. I think that's the way they pronounce it. That was, uh, Buffy's extra boyfriend, uh, who was trying to, he was trying to, make, to put the make on her when um, uh, when John right. Yeager comes in and gives That's him That's right. Yeah, I forgot about him. Boy, they had a bunch of slimy dudes in this block, didn't they? Everybody's all, just oversexed and everything else. This guy, this guy was awful. This guy said, I'll get you. I'll get you. I don't care. He's beating, beating oh, the hell out God. of him. I'll still get you. I'll still get you. And then, uh, it did have its entertaining moments. I don't care. Yeah. Then, then they meet in the... Uh, in the blue whale docks and uh, gives him a nice beating up again. This time Quentin breaks it up. I think he was the worst. I think, I think he was the worst. I would, I would tend to agree with you that the best, uh, the best does tend to be Selby only because he is really able for the first time to be the guy, not only you love to hate, but the guy you hate to hate. Because he had yeah. really very saving graces about him, and as parallel, I was time surprised point. how as time progressed and how douchey he was getting. Because I'm not used to seeing that from Selby on this, and it was progress. I, I thought it was just me. He's progressively getting ornerier and yeah. meaner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was it was quite a shock. But I think I'm also looking at the point that watching this when I was a kid. And just loving the idea of parallel time. And it I is knew, cool. It is a cool concept. And I knew Barnabas was going to come back. I mean, you know, I kept him in the coffin. I knew he was going to come back sooner or later. I didn't know what the hell was going on at the time they were rehearsing for the movie. But but seeing it back then, and now seeing it now with a different eye, and saying, these are such rehashes of older plots. And it was like they were on hold until Frick came back. It's a lot more important to the show than credit, than even right. credit wanted to give him credit for. Um, and now, where that Fred is back, and in the next block, we're going to see how that improves. So that's my cool. two cents. Keep my, my favorite and least favorite character. Um, least favorite character, well, though my favorite, my favorite character has to be Chris Pennick as Jaeger. I just like the way that it, I like basically. The characters it was interesting, and I'm interested to see where that character is going to go and what's going to become of that character. And that kind of he's so villainous too. Now, my least favorite character, unfortunately for me, has to be Maggie in this block, and the reason why I'm saying that is because I'm just so sick of the whole Victor Maggie thing. We've seen it so yeah. often, and and as I said before, 
you know, if they change roles a bit. I kind of wish that it would be nice. I, agree. I mean, I don't, you know, yeah. the thing is, is that they had a chance to actually switch it up a little bit and they didn't switch it up. They kept people to sort of like it pretty much. Molke, she kept, wanted to be bad too and they wouldn't do it. They just won't do it with certain ones. Well, I mean, the thing is, it's like, you know, I mean, I do know that we're coming to the end of Maggie Evans and Kathleen Scott on the show anyway. Right, that, right. That's coming right. up quite soon. It's coming up. Um, Not yet, so, though. But at the same time, it would have been quite nice just to, you know, you know, I mean, they all acted their roles well. There's nothing to do about their acting, but the character is kind of like, oh, here we got Maggie the victim again, and I'm kind of like, okay. We're, well, it's know. not her fault. She's just written that way, so to speak. Yeah, but but yeah, as I said before, you know, we were talking about the character, not the actor sort of thing, and I just thought, okay, you know, here we go again. Right. And just, you know, and the only person that actually set me on fire, basically, was Chris Pennick's character, Jagger, because that was uh, we were watching an actor do something kind of totally different than what we've seen, and that's what I liked. You know, For a daytime someone, drama, you know, especially, it was yeah. you know it wasn't yeah, Angelique yeah. being Angelique, where you couldn't differentiate between the Alexis and the Angelique character because you never actually saw what the Angelique character was anyway. Was they did have a lot of novelization going on in this one. You're right about the uh, well. I think if they spent a little bit more time developing these stories, I think that they, they could have been onto a real winner. But I think trying yeah, to agree. mash three gothic novels into you know forty episodes here. They left out the Bronte sisters. That's who they left out. Um, well, we, we pretty much Wuthering Heights is pretty much there anyway. Very right. Between, That's a given. Uh, well, this is the, the end of What? I think the worst thing about this whole block, I'm talking about characters, is the eternal droning on and on and on to Angelique. By the time two weeks passed, you were just so sick of da, 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 all the music. Da, yeah. Da, that was da, like da, baby da. shark after a while. I started singing <laughs> it to myself. Just like, Oh my God, that, and what was that? Oh God, some movie, some song got, we were talking about that the other day ago. Some song got stuck in my head and I'll be damned if I can remember what song it is. No, oh I, wait, I think- it was, it was stranger things. It was that yeah. song from the never ending story. I've been singing that for three, Flipping days because they started singing that. Yeah, <laughs> but might have had something. The thing to is, do. I think that I think that's I think that's lazy storytelling. Actually, lazy script writing there because the thing is, you could have made Angelique an important part of what's going on mm-hmm. without actually having it be thrown at you over and over again. Right. You know, maybe they're spending yeah. too much time. Up, the movie was too important in the TV series. Maybe that was what's going on. I think well, they were hoping. Yeah. Possibly. I think what they were hoping was it was going to hit the same kind of um, billboard. Was it House of Dark Clinton Shadows Street. they were doing? Was that the first one? Right. Yeah, okay. I think that they were hoping that they were going to that that they were going to hit the same kind of. Enter Jim bill- Storm, right? Was he- yeah. Oh, Tom, you're that- right on the money. Tom, keep going. You're right on the money. Yes, thank you, uh, thank you, Pat. They were hoping that it was going to hit the same kind of billboard effect. As, um, as as Quentin's team did. And the reason it didn't, okay, I think, gotcha. was because the Quentin's theme had a character attached to it that you could empathize, symbolize, um, handsome, 
handsome son of a gun, but tortured and, 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 and so forth. Right. And that's why Quentin's theme, they could have played that and they did. They played that a million times and no one ever got tired of it, especially when they really hit that thing with the werewolf where, well, not the werewolf, when Petoffi had exchanged brains with Quentin. Right. And when that was resolved, a brilliant stroke was to play Quentin's theme to show the fans, I'm back. You right. know, and, and that was powerful, very powerful. Nothing like that here with uh, with Angelique. It's it's just something, you know, it's just something the morose, depressed lovers play in the background to think of <laughs> masochistic relationships they never had or never should have had or never would have had. And it's it's cute at first. It's cute at first because they have that other version. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. version, and that's cute. But then after a while, all that piano droning, and unless you're a Liberace fan or Carmen Cavallero, you know, oh, there's Carmen Cavallero. He he, he raised his hand at Carmen Cavallero. Um, you're not gonna, you know, it's gonna, it's 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 gonna sink. And I think that's what happened. And that was probably the worst thing they could have done in terms of Sybil Weinberger with her music. And with her music, it was just uh, yeah, it was just what's his name was just probably Covert was probably saying, "I want this on, I want this on, I want this to be the new Quentin scene." Didn't work. Out. Hi, I'm Austin Lugo. I'm Andrew Harp. This is with nothing to say, and let's talk about movies. With over three thousand films log, Andrew and I, best friends since middle school, have dedicated our lives to watching, making, and talking about movies. Each week, Andrew and I handpick a movie he's seen, I've seen, or neither of us have seen, and dive deep into anything and everything two wannabe cinephils could ever think of. From horror to dramedy, we do it all. So join us as we talk about everything movies, and maybe you too can become a bona fide cinephil. Okay, um, this brings us to the end of the Literature License Podcast. Next month, we'll be covering Dark Shadows episodes from June 1970 to July 1970, and they would include episodes... 126 to 1070 or 1070. Um, of course, next week we'll be covering our books and screens, which will be From Beyond by H.P. Lovecraft and the film From Beyond from 1906. Our make remake, we'll be doing Dawn of the Dead, the George Romero classic, and we'll also be doing the Jack Snyder remake of the film of the same name. And of course, the 80s will be going back into the 80s, very 80s style with Night of the Comet and Night of the Creeps. So I'm going to say it's good night for myself. And thank you, Patrick, for joining us. Good night. My pleasure. Good night, Tom. Good night, everybody. And thanks for taking me in. And good night, Vicki. Good night, y'all. And we'll see you next week for From Beyond, the love craft and the film. Bye.